Welcome to a new episode of Pablo Head Investigates. In today's episode, I'm talking to Jorge Rossi, multi-instrumentalist, um, drummer, composer, vibes player, piano player, and former trumpet player. I don't know if he still plays trumpet, but he started out by playing trumpet, then went on to become one of the most distinguished drummers of our time, then took a left turn and got into the piano and uh, started a whole new career on the on that instrument and uh, this really really uh, amazed me and was inspiring for me because that album that he put out called Vika really had a huge impact on me the way he played piano and the way he composed um, really something else and I hadn't heard somebody play like that before and then moved on to um, reinvent himself again and um, play the vibes and found it he found an incredible uh, unique way of playing on the vibes which i think combine combines uh, a lot of his talents and a lot of his interests in that one instrument so you have the percussive element of the drums you have the melodic thing of uh, the trumpet and you have the harmonic thing from the piano and there's nobody who plays vibes like Jorge. In fact, there's nobody like Jorge at all. I mean, he's such a great guy and so open and so down to earth and so um, humble. It's so great to talk to him because he really likes to share those experiences and likes to, doesn't really share them. How do you say? I mean, he he's so open with uh, the whole spectrum of those memories and those experiences. So he'll share with you his doubts and his um, his difficulties. And uh, that was so useful to me at that time and still is. And um, what I actually wanted to tell you is uh, for a number of years, we had been playing together as the, um, the backing band of the Focus Year auditions in Basel. So there's a great uh, study program in Basel and um, people apply to become part of that program and they have to play with the, um, with the band. And um, the band include me and Jorge and Dominique Giraud, a great bassist. So all these guys come in and we play with them. We rehearse with them uh, in front of the jury. They hand out uh, handwritten sheets or we play standards and they explain the music. And there, there he is, Jorge Rossi on the drums. Everybody is starstruck um, and uh, is, is excited to play with him. Although it's kind of a tense situation. But Jorge, in his great way, Uh, brings it down to earth all the time. So there, there was this one student who came in, handed out like a six-page chart of some original tune he wanted to play without rehearsal. And he explains uh, the structure and the arrangement to Jorge. And Jorge looks at him and says, don't worry, we'll fuck it up for sure. <laughs> so 
that's Jorge to me in a nutshell. Um, he, in a way, he tells us that we're all in it together. And that's such a great and, and uh, embracing and, and welcoming, uh, in inclusive, that's the word, such an inclusive thought and uh, gesture. So I'm happy that I got to talk to him on my podcast, which is kind of a continuation of how we talk when we hang out or when we play together. And I'm really, really happy that we could share it now. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to this channel, leave a comment or uh, tell your friends about it. That always helps. And if you would like to um, support the podcast even more, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Pablo I'm sharing exclusive content with my patrons there. They get uh, educational content like me talking about various musical contents and showing things on the piano. Uh, excerpts from masterclasses. They get early access. Um, they get monthly lead sheets. They get uh, discount on my Bandcamp page and more behind-the-scenes stuff from the podcast. And also, they get a discount on the Investigation Notes notebook. It's a little eco-friendly uh, produced notebook with staff paper. Wait, staff paper. <laughs> you'll see my notes here I'm writing down all the things that I don't want to forget alright uh, thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this episode take care I'm very curious now you have a you have an upcoming tour with your Vibes Trio mm -hmm. in a f just a few days and I'm wondering yeah. what your process is of preparing for a, a tour uh, musically, well, spiritually or wh whatever uh, you're doing to, to be ready because you always seem ready when something comes up, you know. Well, I sure don't feel ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, in terms of feeling ready, which I think is a deep question, no, I, I has been many years that I, I always feel that, you know. Uh, I never feel ready in the sense of feeling like, okay, I got it all covered, you know, and I got I got a full bag of tricks that I can pull out mm. and I'm totally comfortable. It's like, no, I, I always feel that I, I don't have a choice. I have to be ready because I need to deliver. So I focus on what's the essential things that I need to deliver, which is not so much, you know, where it's not like we're driving, it's not heart surgery or, right. you know, <laughs> driving a plane with 100 people. I, we just need to entertain people for an hour or a couple hours, if it's two sets, and that's all, you know. And then I just make sure that I have enough um, material that is going to, carry me you know as as i accumulate more more experience you know on the vibes or or when when you have a band that you have been playing more mm. uh, then you can stay taking more start taking more chances but at the beginning what i try to do is just is basically about the repertoire you know knowing that i have a repertoire that by itself you know if a bunch of nice tunes with arrangements that are going to be that, that the music is going to carry me anyway if i just play the basic stuff, whatever I'm really comfortable, you know. Right. So that's that's what I get when I come from this sense of insecurity. It's like, oh my god, I'm not ready. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like, yeah, I got a bunch of tunes that sound good. Of course, I got a killing rhythm section. Mm -hmm. So, 
But yeah, in that sense, the trio is a little different because with my quintet, I feel that if I don't play one note, a great gig is going to happen already. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> I got, you know, Mark Turner there soloing mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the rest of the band. So it's like, I'm actually just unnecessary. That's That was my, my approach with the quintet, you know, make sure that I have a band that's going to sound great. I, I believe in my tunes, you know, they are good enough. Yeah. Uh, make good arrangements and... And and then just try to take pressure of my part. Now that's how I dealt with the angst of being a kind of beginner vice player and having Mark Turner and Al Foster and, and Peter Bernstein mm-hmm. or Jama Jumbard and Doug Ways in in the band. You know, it's like I know these guys are way more experienced than I am as a vice player. You know, so anyway, that was that was a little bit the thing in trio, of course. Even that I got incredible support from Robert and and Jeff, but. I have, I have much, uh, you know, at least a third of the responsibility, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, now I've been playing this thing for nearly ten years. So now I, I feel I'm ready mm-hmm. to to do that. And in fact, even in 2017, I did like a tour, uh, a trio tour with Doug and Al, Al Foster too, Doug Weiss and Al Foster, which was a lot of fun and. Um, now I know that I was able to hand, to handle that then, and so I feel very confident. You know? Yeah, I remember you telling me about that upcoming tour with uh, Doug and and uh, Al. Back then it was upcoming, mm. and you were kind of, mm. yeah, you were talking about that. Uh, you find it to be a, a great challenge to to be the sole harmonic instrument and melodic instrument, you know, uh, and and can be a very naked thing like the vibes you know but i whenever yeah. i hear you it doesn't sound like that at all although it's yeah. sparse and everything but there's mm-hmm. just so much uh, of the important stuff is in there <laughs> to carry you and the listener and the band cool yeah. yeah yeah you know what was very interesting is that in, in right after i did that tour yeah um, you know before the tour i felt like that of course i, I did a few gigs in trio and you know and, and plenty of sessions here in spain with with friends and that you know in trio just to get used to the format too and and uh, uh so it, it's not like it was the first time i played trio but you know in terms of presenting myself on stage with a heavier rhythm section like that yeah you don't want to feel like a lightweight no sometimes yeah. that can happen no if you have great musicians in your band of course it's much easier to play and the music is going to be better but it can also happen that if you are extremely weak and you have somebody that's super strong, maybe that can even uh, uh, showcase your weakness mm-hmm. <laughs> by contrast even more. You mm-hmm. know, so <laughs> it's like, oh wow! After hearing that incredible solo, it's like now it's like, okay, <laughs> when is the next bass solo or drum yeah. solo happening? <laughs> I can wait. <laughs> so no, so. But anyway, well, uh, it was great. I, I had a great time. And, and But what's very interesting is just that, that yeah, when uh, when you have to deliver, you tend to do. You know, like I think mm-hmm. uh, I always have this idea. You know, it's like you run much faster than you thought you ever would be possible, would be able to run when you have a tiger coming after your ass. Yes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just rise to the occasion for pure survival, you know. Yeah. So you you rise the uh, rise up the stakes by hiring hiring a rhythm section like that, and yeah. uh, maybe also creating an environment where you have to come up with everything on your own without the back Mark Turner and Peter Bernstein like being so naked as in the trio. 
right? Yeah, and, and also by by playing not at home comfortably or recording in the studio, no, no, on live. Yeah. Just go, the st- people is waiting, you know, they see Al Foster yeah. there, it's like, okay, this is serious, and, and you got to deliver. The expectation is high, so you just got to do it, no? And then what was incredible is that after, like, you know, we did not so many gigs, it was a short tour, you know, but maybe five or six gigs, then is uh, uh, since they were already in, in Europe, I used that occasion to also record the second CD, Beyond Sunday. And then what was funny is that then um, after playing for a week in trio, when we went to the studio and I had to play in quintet, then I found that harder, you know. Oh, why? Yeah, just because, uh, yeah, uh, it was such a change of role, you know. I, I felt it's like, okay, now somebody else got the melody and and somebody else is already comping so you know i kind of i wasn't confident enough in terms of so much in uh, about like don't get in the way of the guitar with my comping you know? mm. i mean so it came out nice and, and the record is great it didn't feel easy you know it, it didn't feel like you know you, you could think it's like after playing in trio back to the quintet is just a piece of cake mm-hmm. it's like no because they are different beasts you know mm-hmm. so I felt that my quintet chops were down because I had I got used to the trio thing and yeah. and you know I I didn't want to go into wouldn't make sense to play the same way you know it's like okay mm-hmm. I got these great guys here let's make sure that I can they can be heard too you know yeah and at the same time I don't want to be tentative because I don't want to get in their way so and that's the kind of thing you know so yeah, you have yeah. to find the balance within each situation I guess huh yeah each situation is a uh, yeah, I, like that's how I feel also about every tune. You know, it's like feel many times. It's like it's not that you suddenly one day you know harmony or you know voicings or you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you have to find what works in at least in my case. You mm-hmm. know, in, in every tune for every bar, you have to find what what interesting voice leading things are there, or what how the melody relates, or, or just what it means. You, you just have to to spend time with the tune. Mm-hmm. With, like we like to spend time with anything or person we love, you know, and yeah. that is very natural. <laughs> I think that's yeah, that's the first thing you said when I asked you how you prepare for this upcoming tour is like the rep, getting the repertoire uh, ready. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. maybe you can get it more into detail about what that means for you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's funny because yeah, a lot of it like uh, like it's, it's happening today. This morning I was just waking up, you know, and thinking, wow, yeah, the tour is gonna start. And yesterday I didn't play the vibes at all. The day before yesterday either doesn't look like today I'm gonna be able to. And it's inter- interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what what has been happening already for more than ten days is that I'm working on certain tunes in my head. Mm. all day and when i go to bed i'm thinking of them and i fall asleep with them and i wake up often i'm dreaming on them so i'm working on the repertoire yes yeah of course know. yeah so that that's it so i'm i'm thinking especially the tunes i'm working are, are the, a couple of new tunes that actually i i haven't even told jeff and, and robert about but it's going to be easy for them yeah, actually, it's a couple of, of Chick Corea tunes mm. because, you know, I was thinking about doing something for Chick because, you know, we, we lost him and, yeah. and and he was like an incredible, I mean, I had very few contact with him, but just did this one gig, but also a couple of recordings where I, I play a couple of tunes with him, and, or one in one of them, but 
but uh, just the the few times that I got to hang with him, it was like so incredibly inspiring. I mean, yeah. and, and not to mention everything that he gives just by listening to him, even of if course. you never meet him in person, you know, it's all there. But anyway, and having Jeff playing with him for so many years, so I thought that would be adequate. So anyway, I've been working a little bit on Mirror Mirror. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. And also on um, High Wire, the, the Aerialist, you know, this tune that, that he recorded with Chaka Khan and Joe and Stanley Clark, Lenny White and Freddie Hubbard. Is it on the real book? No, no, that's not on the real book. Uh, uh, it has a... It's a this record called uh, uh, Echoes of an Era. Thing. Yeah, but doesn't have doesn't it have the real book font or or the look or something. something. Oh, I don't know. I, I haven't. I, I just transcribed the, the okay. The, I see. Myself. Yeah. I mean, a student in Basel, uh, a singer, uh, Matteo. He he he. One day he got a chart. He brought a chart to the class. I um, you know in Basel. One of the lessons mm -hmm. I do is this year I'm doing it with Anne Malcolm. I used to do it with Lisette Spindler, like where I'm playing piano, just comping for the singers. And mm -hmm. this guy wrote the tune, and, and I knew it, but I never played it, but I knew I have heard the tune. And I loved it. I fell in love with it again. And and then I just, his chair was pretty good, but it, I, I just double-checked it. I always, you know, whenever I have a chair, I, I like to listen to the recording and see if I can tweak it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and recently I was just trying to to learn also the there is a, a little bit of a shout chorus that Joe and Freddie play, and mm. so I'm working a little, a little bit on it. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, those two, and then the the rest is just refreshing the tunes on the record, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but how do you yeah. work uh, by uh, thinking about the, the songs? Like what? Because I do it too, and I'm I'm yeah. curious how you do it, how you think about the songs and um, because rehearsing on in in your mind is um, such a such a great way to prepare and to to work on music because you can do it very thoroughly and you don't yeah. need any instrument and you can do it while you do very boring stuff and yeah. use the time you know yeah totally and afterwards you I go mean, to the instrument and then you can play it yeah, exactly. You, you, you already know. I really believe in that. I remember reading in a book about Glenn Gould that uh, it mentioned that that when he was even only yes, even 15 or something, but he was in a really high level, and uh, his parents took him to a, a really great teacher, and and the first thing the teacher told him is like, okay, 80 80 percent of your practice time is going to be away from the instrument. Mm. And since then, even so early, you know, he he learned the music always outside. And as you described, when when he went to play, it was already everything there. You just play everything is already memorized. It's already mm. you can play it in tempo the mm. first time. Boom! It's like, it was like whoa, mm -hmm. <laughs> that sounds right. Mm. But it's true, no? It's it's like language, I think, and because that way, it means that it's in you and and. Doesn't there is nothing mechanical about it? No, not so much muscular memory. None of that. It's just that you understand the music, and then you can say it differently. Like, like uh, if you tell a story, you can even change some words. Yeah, yeah, just and it's really spontaneous. No? But yeah, it takes a while. That's why yeah, spending some time with the music, yeah, in your mind. You know? So 
Yeah, many times now, uh, something that uh, intrigues me uh, a lot, because also just since there was this recording, I started playing with four mallets. Mm. So I have this possibility, so I'm trying to explore that. So I just imagine many times, you know, it's like, okay, if I play the melody and I just do two voices, you know, and then imagine them or play them or play them without the instrument, just imagine what two could sound, what happens intervallically, whatever. And then if I do three voices, what happens, you know, mm-hmm. and just stuff like that, just to get used to the wrench, you know, then I realize if I'm doing three voices, when the melody goes to the bottom, sometimes you cannot really fit three or it doesn't make sense, but and it's like, okay, here it's just going to be two. <laughs> yes. Yes, whatever. The, the same process that you would find in the instrument, but the instrument is not there. So mm-hmm. just have you also found that it improves your hearing, your ability to hear better? Of course, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's always working on in ear training. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's cool. Like, it's like mental uh, mental voice leading training. What you're doing, it's very cool. <laughs> totally, <laughs> very cool. Um. When you, I think we got to know each other in 2012, I think that mm-hmm. was our first gig oh, yeah. at the Bird's Eye. Oh, yeah. And wow. uh, really I think it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so long ago that you started picking up the, the vibes. Mm-hmm. And I think back then I already asked you a little bit about it, but I, I want to know more about the process of learning a new instrument mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like. I love the, as you know, I love the way you play the drums and the piano. We have to get into oh. Vika uh, later on, but um, and I love the way you play the vibes, and I feel like the vibes really puts together all the things you do so great on drums, piano, and I, I haven't heard you play the trumpet, but I assume mm. there's a lot of yeah. connection within the vibes, bringing all those things together, uh, and totally. you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm curious what your process was. Of learning that instrument, what was important for you to to be able to do, mm-hmm. and also maybe who were people you looked up to, or do I remember correctly that you didn't re- really get so much into other vibes players so much? Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember yeah. quite. Yeah, no, no, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, well, the whole story is that uh, I actually started playing vibes a little bit at 14. Uh, because I was studying classical percussion, and you know, and, and yeah, I was attracted to it. I, the idea there was a very nice booster vibraphone in the school, but then you know, it was just a starting. So uh, my father got me a vibe that we found that, but the it wasn't full bars, you know. So the sound was kind of like you know, not so much dynamics, you know, kind of disappointing. So I played it for about a year or two and and then I was like yeah carrying this big thing you know kind of like the drums you know this big thing that you that you have to set up and that and but it that wasn't satisfying the sound I felt dynamically I don't know and also for ear training wasn't so great because it's like the piano very visual no so I I started seeing myself playing a bunch of scales up and down you know like uh, learning tunes like that and learning the chord scales and then feeling that I I was falling in the temptation of playing a lot of notes mm-hmm. without really singing them that much. And then it happened that I fell in love with the trumpet, you know, at 16. And, and for those reasons, no? highly portable, <laughs> <laughs> great ear training, you know, mm. 
and extremely expressive. No, I, I, I would listen to Miles or Kenny Dorham and he's like, man, these guys with one note say so much more than I do with like a bunch of notes. It's like, this is what I need to learn, you know? And so then the, the vibes kind of just fall, you know? Just, so I really was totally in love with the trumpet for 10 years, you know? And then fast forwarding, you know, this was at 16 when I was 20, 24, nearly 25, I went to, to Berkeley as a trumpet student. But then there I met all these great musicians you know, that, that were, were there, you know, Mark, Chris Cheek, Seamus, Kurt, um, uh, Joshua Redman was around too. Anyway, a, a lot of, of amazing musicians. And, and these guys were very sweet and supportive also of my trumpet playing, but they never called me to play <laughs> to, as a trumpet player. <laughs> I said, oh, man, you sound nice. Man. By the way, are you available for a session after on drums? I went, okay. <laughs> so, you know, that uh, I got the message. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, I just felt that that as much as I was in love with the trumpet and I could play it, and I was, you know, getting better slowly and everything, but... But I I just felt that I, I wanted to play with these guys and you know and I also believe in this thing. You no, know, many times it's not so much about you and your dreams and your ideas and aspirations. It's like if we live in a society and if you feel that in the uh, in the place where you live or, or or around you there is people who appreciates what you do or or needs you to do something that you, that you are good at it or that at least they they think that you you can help then that's going to make you happy no because then you feel that you are useful you are contributing something mm. so anyway it was pretty clear that as a drummer at this at that point at least i contribute much more than the trumpet so yeah and naturally the trumpet fall <laughs> to the side you know mm. so uh, i became full-time drummer and also playing drums with these guys it was so much fun you know because they were so responsive and, and uh, I, yeah, I felt that I could make, yeah, I could participate in making great music with mm. them as a drummer. So so at the end of the day, that's the thing. It's not about the drums or it's not about me, it's about the music. Yeah. But, so that that was the way it happened, you know. It was much later when I struggled with tendinitis, like maybe like, yeah, in 94. So yeah, well, maybe five years after that, that then I had to stop practicing, and then I realized that the less I practice, the better I played. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's what I'm going to do with all this free time, you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> so, well, then maybe I can go back to my original idea of, you know, before I went to Boston, when I went to Spain, and I, I wanted to be kind of a complete musician, you know, and and I felt like, okay, trumpet, I lost my embouchure. I don't feel like also getting back into that and doing long tones, you know, mm. to keep my ambassador going on. I always love the piano. I already kind of play piano a little bit. And I thought like, yeah, I just love the piano. Let's, let's get into that. So that's 94. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Just mm -hmm. in 94, 95 is when I, I really felt that I, I really wanted to, to, to embrace the piano. Yeah, exactly. Ninety-four. I was thirty years old. Exactly. That's yeah. when the trio with Brad started, right? Around that time. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so then, well, but then I was just thinking about you know studying the piano a little bit more, and 
but didn't have like so many like you know I never really had big aspirations of anything. I just wanted to play. So yeah, that that's uh, that's when that started. And then what happened is like a, f- a few years down the line, maybe five years after that. Uh, like then it became like an obsession. Then I was like so much into the piano, just like completely obsessed with it. And, and I started, you know, studying with Sofia Rossoff and, and yeah. What was that like? Well, it was just amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Ethan Iverson and Mike Kanan, both of them told me about her and they kind of recommended me to go and, and, and told her about me so I could get a spot to, to see her. And it, it was life-changing, you know, not only for the yeah. Well, it's like the thing, she's, she was so incredible, so perceptive about uh, the way I see it, you know, about how you relate to the instrument and to music, how, how do you experience, experience making music with the instrument, you know? And, and yeah, she can see all kinds of conflict or, or not, or what's good about it, and she encourages it. It was magic, just it's just playing for her because she would just ask me to play anything, you know, it could be a standard or a, a piece that we have been working on, Scriabin or Ravel or Bach, mm-hmm. or or sometimes just improvise freely, which is something that I was extremely scared of <laughs> for improvisation. And I felt that she always made me play uh, to rise my level, not to sound better than I would do even when I was alone or, or in any other situation, you know. And also the whole idea of outlining. That's a lot A lot of what I practice without the instrument is outlining too, you know. Say again? Outline, uh, outlining. And what does o- it mean? Outlining. Yeah, it means like um, basically... Uh, if you just play, for you can decide, you can do it in infinite ways, no? but a basic outlining would be, okay, you can take any piece of music and you just play, like, a, uh, just play on the first beat of every four bars of, or every two bars or the first beat of each bar. And that's when you play. And what you play you can decide that too. You can say, I just play the melody note, or I can play the melody note that would sound at that moment, mm-hmm. and the bass, so it would be two voices. Or you can say, I play the melody note, and I can play the bass, and one guy tone that's important that's not in the melody. That way you got a three note voicing, you know? Yeah. Or same with, so you decide, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or uh, as was pretty interesting too is just to, to think is like okay if I have if in that bar there are three melody notes I make a voicing with those three melody notes yeah and so uh, so it's amazing you know, because it's really uh, you really break down music to to these kind of combinations you start thinking of harmony as all these little colors that. It's actually the melody. You don't realize that harmony is and melody are the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like uh, you know, it's just add rhythm to it to to have shape. But in terms of no, the notes that you pick in order to make a melody are the harmony ones, especially once you add a bass, and that's it. You know, and then you realize, uh, you know, then what happens with the other voices, no? 
so yeah, I think that's the that's the kind of things that that's for me is is when I understood I am started to understand what's actually the real meaning of voice leading. You know, mm-hmm. I would be uh, in the past when I would hear piano players and and guitar players or people talking about voice leading or horn players too. It was like, what are they talking about? Okay, the third and the seventh? So, yeah, so what? Yeah, okay, but leading, I mean, you know that you can lead, and, you, know, you just play them and <laughs> they are yeah. already written down. Okay, try to, to you know, to play the chromatic things you know, mm-hmm. or, or to try to, yeah, minimum movement. Yeah, but it, there's, there must be more than that. And and then it's like, okay, once you add the, the melodic material to the voicing, then you realize more. No, there is yeah, there is these combinations. Which intervals happen? Which octave do you put it? All these things make a difference. No, and, and again, I don't see any rules. Or it's more just like just listen to how it sounds. Listen what combinations are available to you. Check it out. Check it out how it resonates in the instrument. And, and and then eventually you get familiar with the instrument enough where, where you can even do it in your head and more or less imagine what's going to be yeah. or see what's possible at least. No? So, yeah. That's uh, cool. Thanks for sharing the memories of studying with her. That's, that's oh, really no, interesting. No, so we were on our way from your obsession of the piano, which eventually leads up to you doing one of my favorite albums, Vika. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, and we have to keep in mind that we are still on our way to to the vibes, but I yeah, think yeah, we're reaching no or we're headed towards Vika. And yeah. uh, let's 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 go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's interesting. You know, my whole thing with the piano is that, especially you know, at the time I was playing with Brad, so of course, for me to imagine myself as a serious piano player, professional, it was kind of like, come on, you know. Yes, like I, I know that even if I I lived two hundred years, I would never play the piano with with you know the, the way that Brad would play it when he was ten years old. You know, <laughs> it's just it's just a completely different league. But that's the thing. Uh, I was like, well, you know, I'm not. I don't need to compete with him. Although, of course, this would happen when once once I started playing with gigs. You know, of course, people in the audience the comparison would always be there because they associate me with Brad, you know, mm-hmm. this is Brad's drummer playing piano. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I was like, okay, that might be in their heads, but doesn't need to be in mine. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason I play piano is not to be better or worse than anybody else is that I'm happy when I'm at the piano. I just love this shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's all it is. Yeah. So what were some of the yeah. first, first gigs mm-hmm. on piano? Yeah, I remember this very first gig. It was a, a great band because it was with, uh, yeah, uh, that's the thing. I, I got this little gig in, in a little club in Sabadell, close, you know, close to Barcelona, in a little town close to Barcelona. And and it was with Natsu, mm-hmm. great alto player, you yeah. know, that I have three with him. He also plays great drums and he mm-hmm. plays very nice piano too, actually. Yeah. But it was with Nat on alto sax. And with Javier Colina on, on bass mm-hmm. and David Chirgu drums. So mm-hmm. I already got a great rhythm section, a great soloist. So again, similar thing to what I did with the vibes later, you know. Mm. These guys in trio would sound great, even if I don't play one note. So yeah. <laughs> not so much pressure. Yeah. And 
it was yeah that was a revelation because i felt that it made me play so much better to play in front of an audience because what i was doing i was playing a lot at home alone but also uh, i started playing with students you know people who were younger guys like jordi matas at the time this great guitar player he came once and and i would just do sessions with them i just would play with them and, and playing piano all the time, you know, but just with friends at home. But then that's, I think, especially with the piano, you know, there is so much available to you there that is, I felt the danger of just to keep looking for stuff and playing a lot of stuff and having a lot of ideas, but not not organizing them in order, in order to make a statement. You know, to be too much in discovery mode, you know. Yes, oh, let's see, what about this? And oh, wow, mm-hmm. oh, all these things open up to you, you know. But then you, uh, for the listener, that can be kind of boring. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're here like a, a little boy in a candy store. But, but tell me something, man, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I felt that having an audience, it makes you commit to an idea and follow through because these people is listening to you. So don't get distracted with candy, man. Just... Mm-hmm. Or here, tell us, tell us something, you know, make a clear statement, go to the point. And then That's I something fall. I so admire about your playing. It's like whenever you start a solo or end a solo or within the solo, but mm-hmm. usually, it, of course, it, stri- it strikes me when you start a solo uh, the most, I think. Yeah, I listen to your quintet, for example, and the moment you start a, a, your solo is as clear as it can be. And such a strong statement always, like the way you come in, it's always so strong and so clear. And that's something I really admire. And I, I wonder how to, to get closer to that. Well, I don't know. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I guess desperation. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I mean is that, yeah, I, 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 that's what I feel. I feel the responsibility of making that. And that's actually the only thing I can do, you know, because I, I think that's maybe, yeah, one of the results of, of shifting instruments and then having to present yourself on stage and by being an experienced musician and taking it seriously, you know, so for me, that does the thing I am, I don't want to bore the audience, you know, I don't yeah. want to feel like a, like the pain in the ass guy, you know, he's like, okay, yes, because he has friends, good musicians, because he's, you know, a pretty good drummer, and now he wants to do this thing, and I, I know that would be a danger, you know, so, so I'm, I'm very respectful of, of the audience time and of my peers time, you know, so yeah, I feel that I gotta say something. So, but at the same time, I that's the thing that that's one of the models that I thought. Like knowing of my enormous limitations, you know, is then I, I realized it's like okay, Brad Meldau is amazing, uh, and I love his playing. Of course, I also love Artedum. I love Keith mm-hmm. Yarrett. I love Hank Jones. I I can't touch these guys, you know, this shit's so aware, yeah. but then there are other piano players that I love, and, and I'm not saying that I'm at their level, but it seems not so attainable, you know, yeah. or that at least uh, an imitation of that, you know, and then Jobim was a big one, you know, mm. also Horace Silver, you know, mm. maybe these two thinking is like, man, Jobim has a, such a beautiful touch on the piano, yes. and, and of course as a composer, you know, these beautiful tunes, and where there is just like, yeah, just like, like a little voice or things that you can orchestrate on the piano that sounds really good. 
but also just as a piano player, his touch, and, and, and I was like, man, that sounds so beautiful. And uh, this is just as enjoyable as Arteton, you know? So, exactly, yeah. So that's just, so that that could be a, a good model for me to make me feel, you know, confident that I, if I pursue this, you know? <laughs> so that, that has been my model, you know, in, uh, in every instrument, actually, always, you know, just to, to try to to make a, a statement that was also lyrical, you know, in the sense, lyrical meaning uh, with a, a strong emotional connection. So yeah. something that actually is meaningful to me. So, yeah, what you describe, that's obviously, that's my priority, you know. So, mm-hmm. And so that's, yeah, I guess I, I get that to a certain level, you know, I have many limitations, but... Because I feel that if I don't deliver that, it, it really doesn't matter, you know. If, if I play many notes or few notes, but if they don't mean shit or they don't mean anything to me, mm-hmm. then what's the point, you know? So so that's the priority, and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, Vika, uh, what was the compositional process for, for that? Because I feel like... Um, within your compositions, you have a very, very unique ways of maneuvering harmony mm. and getting it together with, with mel- melodies. Uh, very, very unexpected usually for me. It's like, mm. how did you well, think of that chord in this moment? I never would have thought, you know, <laughs> to, to go there, but it, the, the choice sounds so beautiful and so unique and so you. So mm. for me, it's always the question, like, yeah. how, how do you get there? Of course, mm. we, combine all of our influences but yeah. um, I'm, I'm wondering how it how it looks like when you when you compose yeah well it's funny like with composition I also I started composing a little bit when I was playing trumpet right before I went to you know in the in the 80s but very little and at that time my compositions were extremely derivative you know like each tune that I would write would be completely different from any other tune I wrote before but completely, it was very clear to know. It's like, okay, this tune I'm trying to imitate, you know, way shorter from from Atlantis, and this tune I'm trying to imitate like this Terence Blanchard record that I got, and this yeah. other tune I'm trying to imitate Lee Morgan. And it was extremely, you know, just kind of exercises of trying to. I would have the color of a tune that I love from a record, and then try try to write something in in that vein, completely by ear, you know, or because. Uh, yeah, I, I felt that I also had this thing that I felt that if I write anything that is kind of like clear functional harmony, that's something that I understand why write it. It's like, man, that's too obvious, you know, mm-hmm. which I think is a mistake, of course. Mm. When after when I was more mature, I was like, no, you should be able to write a calypso, you know, with yeah. one, four, five, <laughs> all diatonic, you know, okay, maybe you can make the two dominant, okay, yeah. <laughs> the six <laughs> dominant, but only that, you know, like, but that came later, you know, but so my tendency was always to find colorful harmony, yeah, even in that early stage, you know, and then when I went to Boston, I wrote a couple of tunes, but then I met all these guys, and again, it's funny, you know, like, even that I tried to not be competitive, but I guess it's, it's really hard not to in this society. So hmm. either I wasn't 
consciously competitive, but the fact that I felt intimidated by great players and great composers who were around me, like Kurt or Seamus or Chris or all, all these guys, you know, writing great tunes, I it made me self-conscious. It was like, man, how can I go to, to show one of my shitty tunes to these guys? You know, I like felt embarrassed. So, which is funny, you know, this thing of embarrassment, if you look down on it, what it is, is competitiveness, no? You're mm. competing with them. Not to be better, but you feel that, you know, something is better than something yeah. else. You're not living up to some, something else. Yeah, it's not good enough, you know. It's like, good enough for what, you know? So, anyway, you know, It was was really hard for me. I was super intimidated. I love these guys. I love their music. And whenever I, I got to the piano also, I would have that problem about composing the, the thing of too many possibilities. You know, I would come up with four bars and then I would spend three hours and, oh, I could do this and I could do this, but which one? And I would accomplish nothing, you know. Uh, so I, I kind of totally stopped composing, you know, for like about 10 years, you know. And mm. I remember a great conversation with Chikoria, actually, mm. about this. Uh, we were just having breakfast in in the uh, Red Sea Festival in Israel, in Elad, and uh, like at five in the morning or something. <laughs> I had been actually all night <laughs> just at the piano after the jam session. <laughs> When the piano uh, was available finally at three, I just stayed mm. there. <laughs> nice. And and then I went. And, and before going to bed, I had breakfast. And then Chick was the opposite. He just woke up really early, you know. <laughs> so we sit for a second and, and talk just for a few minutes. He was super beautiful, very gracious. And... And he asked me, so do you compose? And I said, oh, no, man, I wish. I, and he says, you know, you should just without any expectations, just just to know who you are, you know, to know mm. where your ears go, because we all have certain taste. And and even if you don't play your tunes, but then you when you write certain ideas, you start to see patterns. It's like, oh, I like these colors. And then that will also just as an improviser you you will find what's your territory your vocabulary i thought that was so inspiring that's know? nice yeah one of these things i will never forget it uh, so it was really encouraging so i tried a little bit and so that was a, a nice push <laughs> <laughs> and but then what made all the difference was studying with Guillermo klein you know mm. I, you studied uh, with him yeah 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 mm. he he came to barcelona and then he started doing some Uh, in, in a school here in Bellaterra, in, in a suburb of Barcelona, he uh, did um, some, yeah, some composition uh, lessons with with a group of like about 10 people of different instrumentalists. So all the students would form a band, actually. You know, so the thing is that, which was completely great, is that uh, there were long class lessons. You know, like three or four hours. You know, so the first hour he would. He would always come with something really well prepared. You know, he would show us like either some Beethoven sonata or, or like the Symphony of Psalms or Stravinsky or yeah. something yeah. like that, you know. And he would break it down in a way that, it, it you know, the Symphony of Psalms, he, he wrote it like it looked like a real book page, you know. And then you play those core symbols and the melody and it sounded really close. You could mm -hmm. totally get the vibe of the tune, you know. So it was magical, you know? it really... It demystified it, you know, it made it much more available. And and so that was amazing, you know. And and then after that, 
we would get inspired by that and, and, and get some ideas and, and then he would ask the students to to write something with certain parameters, very specific parameters, and right away. So, okay, you guys have five minutes to write something with using these intervals, for example, or with this idea, no? And uh, okay, now you have 10 minutes, and, and sometimes it would be something, okay, you have 10 minutes, just write a blues, you know, or write a AABA using, you know. So it would be very specific parameters that distract you from the whole idea of being creative yeah, or expressing getting yourself. Inspiration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck that, you have no time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, you, yeah. And, and also takes the ego, you know, out of, because then mm -hmm. just everybody does it, everybody feels embarrassed after, because then you have to try it in front of everybody, and we all try, but it was great, because it's then you realize how the ego is, is like that, and this competitive thing about being embarrassed of not, coming up with something great in front of everybody. It's like, well, it's just, you know, then that's the idea is that I, he would say that I didn't ask you to write a blues that you like. You don't have to like it. You just have to write a blues, <laughs> yeah. 12 bars. You know, yeah. if you don't like it, well, that's your problem, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's so great. That was like perfect medicine. So then I realized after just taking a couple of three months, these courses lasted three months, so I do two or three of them. Since then, whenever I have to write, I write, you know, after 10 years of being unable to write anything, that was like perfect medicine, you know. Yeah. So uh, that was amazing. So most of what I wrote was starting in that class. And also what was perfect was write without the piano, because yeah. the piano is what was killing everything. Just mm -hmm. that too many possibilities, you know. So it's like, no, take that toy, don't get distracted try to hear something, let's see what it is that you hear. And again, I had idealized this idea, you know, it's like, oh, the only people who write without the piano are either geniuses or professionals who do it all the time, you know, and yeah. of course you are so used to, but, you know, I've written very few times how it's impossible that I can do it. And it's like, well, try it, do it, you know, just write what you hear, you know, <laughs> and then just, and then you realize that, yeah, that, that actually, forces you to to write stuff that's simpler, which for me, it was a challenge too. I always try to write complicated, super colorful, you know? Yeah. So anyway, he, he was just so helpful, so much wisdom, you know, I could go on and on, no? but yeah. a He's lot a of stuff. Guy. Yeah, great guy, great musician and great teacher. So great composer. So, so that's basically, Everything, you know, that's what I started. A lot of these tunes in Wicca, the tune Wicca, I remember that was an exercise. I think he just, I don't remember now what was the premise, but just think, yeah, just write an eight-bar melody, I think. Mm. And then I remember that I, I so, and then just harmonize it in a couple of different ways. And I end up, ended up harmonizing it in maybe five or, or, or six ways. And that's what Wicca is, no? It's like the same little melody with a bunch of different chords that make it sound different. Mm. So yeah, that was an exercise <laughs> for Guillermo. Uh, Sexy Time too. that was one of the, is maybe the first uh, the tune that I wrote in his, no, no, probably not the first, but one of the first ones. And it took about five minutes to write, you know. <laughs> it was a, a great exercise. Yeah. It was like, yeah, okay. I remember that was a rhythm exercise. So you write a two bar, uh, rhythm, you know, that's it. Yeah. Uh, 
and then, okay, you repeat these three times and then write the response. So, second time, third, fourth. Oh, it's actually yeah, it's, it's the, the same. same. It's Here, the same even on the, the same one. Yeah. He said, but yeah, the, you can the, do the same, or you can do, uh, you know, so in this case, I did it even simpler. But the chords change. Of course, yeah. yeah. So, But that's the, the exercise. First, you write the rhythm, and then uh, and and then with different rhythm for the B, maybe uh, a four-bar a four bar phrase instead of a two-bar, you know, or an A-bar phrase of two four-bar phrases. And then... Okay, then just put pitches, and mm -hmm. then you got the melody, and then okay, put harmony or put a bass line, and and it's so uh, so easy, and, and and you immediately get the big picture, you know, as yeah. opposed to be on the piano and trying to find some super cool voicings, and you have two bars, and then where this goes, it could go anywhere, mm -hmm. you know. It's like no, you, you have the whole structure just with two bars. Boom, yeah. you just I love the whole thing, you know. So it's a great exercise. I wrote a, a bunch of tunes with that exercise, but that was the first one, and I, I remember it. And and it was one of the first ones that I wrote, yeah, uh, without the piano. And I remember I wrote it in the in the hotel room, <laughs> and I was so intrigued. I was like, okay, I just go for it, you know. It's simple enough. That's why I put there is not that many chords too. Just try to make sure I don't put too many chords. Although the bridge gets kind of involved. But then I thought, okay, once when I tomorrow I go to the piano and probably I will have to change half of the shit. And the surprise was that I went to the piano and I changed absolutely nothing. <laughs> and that started happening with everything. And he's like, okay, yes. So sometimes if I change something, it would be just to take a little bit, to simplify even a little bit more, you know, think, oh, it is not necessary, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then in terms of harmony, many times, if I have a melody like that, I remember the harmony. In this case, it was pretty simple, so I really heard it, but I, I just tried to hear a bass note, you know. And and then again, once you have the, uh, one bass note uh, that I, that could be related to that or not, mm -hmm. I could think of a bass melody, Yeah. really, that just by itself, you know, that, that sounded cool, kind of a little bit of both things. And then you immediately start seeing, okay, oh, this is this chord, or this could be this chord, you know. And uh, many times, what I do once I have a melody and a bass note, uh, if the melody doesn't move too much, so it doesn't define too much the, what the chord is about, then I try to come up with a third voice uh, or a, a second voice, no? Besides, so yeah. third, yeah, bass melody in the third voice. Mm -hmm. Just to to complete a little bit the chords and and then with that you're done. Mm -hmm. you, you, that's it. And 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 then it's again that's voice leading. That's when I when I started writing. Is I had really understood, of course, that's what really voice leading means. Mm. <laughs> Just to define the colors, no. With voice by voice, like each voice counts. This yeah. this whole idea of chords as a something associated to a scale i mean it's okay but doesn't have to be like that and of course in music is is not like that most mm. of the time no, that's just a, a very specific sound that, 
and you don't want to sound like nobody wants to sound the same all the time. So, yeah. How did you come up with the personnel for the for the album? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting thing. You know, in, in that time, a lot because my ethics, you can call it ethics or you can call it insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I had this thing where I. Uh, I I just wanted to play with people who asked me to play with them. You know, even there were musicians that I would I would love how they they play, but I was intimidated. Uh, you know, uh, and no, or maybe a matter of pride. You know, like I, I didn't want to be in this in this situation where you know somebody is playing with me because he's my friend mm. and wants to do me a favor, but they don't really dig my piano playing so much. So I would just play with people who ask me to play with them, you know. Ask you to play with them on piano on or piano. on drums? On piano. No, 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 of course, I no, see. no. If they yeah. ask me to play on drums, that, that's exactly what I wanted to avoid. That somebody is like, you know, is putting up with my piano player, hoping that yeah. someday I will play drums with them, Shit, something like that, you know. Yeah. It's like, no, it's like, if you... Uh, if, if you're thing that you have used for me, you know, for my my piano playing in your band, then I'm, I'll be there, you know. Yeah. And then it happened. I got lucky enough that actually Albert Sam <laughs> asked me to do something. He, he said like he, he told me he called me one day and he told me if I would be into the idea of playing a gig. First, it was just one gig. And, We were both teaching in Musikene in the in this school in San Sebastian. We were both teachers, and he said, like, you know, I can get a gig in this little club in in Donosti with uh, with R.J. Miller, and and then I can play Hammond, and you can play piano, and we can play half of my tunes and and half of your tunes. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Wow, great, beautiful. Thank you. I was super excited because I love his playing. Yes, know? and. And I love RJ. So we did the gig. It was a lot of fun. And then right away, I, I told him, look, you know, I know that this is kind of a co-leader situation, but you already have a great trio with RJ and Masa Kamaguchi. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking that, you know, I wouldn't, uh, uh, would you, would you mind if this was my trio? Like I just... And leading this, this, and he was like, "No, no, great, let's do this because the, uh, I would like to record it and do a record. Let's do it, great." So he was totally into it, you know. So, so yeah, it was a great big step for me, you know. Mm. Uh, and and this happened just at the time when I was studying already. I had been studying with Guillermo, and I yeah, I already had a bunch of tunes. So. In Wicca, as, as you know, yeah, already half of the tunes are Albert's, is, is that rapper, that first repertoire, you know, and half are mine. And yeah, that, that was it, you know. And then after is when we did Juliano's suite in, in Quintet, actually, yeah. with with Felix and Chris Chick. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the next step, you know, where they are all my tunes, then, you know, I already uh, did that. And then I, I felt confident enough to, to call Chris Chick because I felt he's like, well, this sounds good enough. I think Chris might be okay with that, you know. <laughs> But by then I had been already playing piano for 10 years practically, you know. So it took a while for me to 
to go and Chris, as you know, he's like the, the sweetest. He's an incredible musician, but also the most, you know, generous and not judgmental guy. You can, <laughs> but still, the problem wasn't in Chris. It was in my head, you know, mm -hmm. my own insecurity that I had to fight. Wow. Did you ever, I'm curious now, did you ever ask Brad for advice on piano? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, sometimes, you know, when uh, during the time we would be in the road and, and yeah, he gave me very, very cool tips sometimes, you know. I remember once he just showed me, yeah, whenever you play a tune, it was again about voice leading. He said, just try to find, you know, you play the melody and you play the bass note and, and just find those voices that are important that, that and, and finding which octave and, and what disposition it makes it sweet, you know, and, and mm. once you've done that, when you can play the melody, then you basically, you got it, you, you got what it is, you know, mm -hmm. it's super basic, but yeah. very important. That's probably the main one. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I think he demonstrated a little bit with playing in, in, in the street where you live a little bit, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you see, and and then he told me also something about using six sometimes, you know, just to get away from just blocks of chords, you know. It's yeah. like, no, you, just, you can just move with six around, you know, around the scale or around the tonality a little bit and just do what it was. So, yeah. <laughs> it was basically, he didn't say much, you know, but those two things I remember. And the rest was just watching him and sure. listen to him. Yeah. Um, with uh, Wicca, um, I mean, your your piano playing has really influenced my piano playing um, totally. That sounds that, weird to me. <laughs> no, it's yeah, very true. So honored. So honored that's, that. that's really an important album for me. And also, like, uh, I was just amazed about how you approach the instrument. And, and, and it was really, really, it wasn't long ago that you sent me most of the sheet music from the record. Mm -hmm. um, it was so cool to see um, that some moments where I thought, wow, he's just improvising this great killing melody. And I saw it's, oh, it's actually written. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, the other way around happened, you know, where I thought mm -hmm. like, this has to be a written down melody. This is killing, you know, and then I see... No, it's he just made it up. <laughs> wow. So yeah. you you know you you really get to that what you were talking what you were talking about before like the the Jobim type of playing a nice fill that could easily be the next Jobim tune. You know <laughs> you get into that vibe so much when you play the the piano and the vibes obviously. Oh, cool. But that was really something that that struck me when I when I was then you know going back to that recording and looking at the sheet music, how you wrote it down and then noticing all mm. the moments where I thought this must be composed. Wow. This yes. must be improvised. But oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. play with this so much and it really speaks, that oh. really speaks about, uh, speaks to the strength of your melodic choices, mm. I think. Oh, cool. That's so interesting, right? Because I, I remember that when I was very young, you know, I was always being, you know, big fan of Weather Report and Joe Sawino. Mm. And I remember reading an interview where he was uh, addressing that, you know, he, he said that with Weather Report, one of his goals was that nobody would ever clap after a solo because he didn't want the audience to know when there was a solo, that he didn't want the audience to know what was improvised and what was written. Yeah. Actually, so 
Yeah, that's something that that for me also is is important. I was thinking, you know, even in some of these tunes, it's pretty obvious there is still the format of yeah traditional, you know, tunes, solos, and that. But in some of them, yeah, I started writing interludes or like Wicca is in a space. It's a case like that. No, where where yeah, it's more through compose. Uh, yeah. Even yeah, right away uh, in this phase from Wicca, that's something that I, I wanted to get a little bit of that. You know, Elbado has has one of the most yeah. uh, iconic moments like that for yeah. me. It's like when you go into the da 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 da. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. 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 That's something like but, wow, what a yeah. killing solo. And then I find out, yeah, it's not a solo. <laughs> when we when we played it, I, yeah. I was like, oh, this I have to learn this now. <laughs> Shit, yeah. it's written down. It's yeah. written down. But the way you. Get into it, like it, it's. Um, Jeff was talking about um, uh, something that struck him about uh, Chikoria's. Like sometimes it, it seemed mm -hmm. like he would just, he would already be playing when he hadn't really uh, sat down on the bench yet. Like falling on the onto the piano and seeing what happens. That kind yeah. of feeling I got from that moment from Elbado. You know, oh, it's like great. because it seems like uh, you you jump into it. You know, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's that's a shout chorus. That's what that it, is. Yeah, wow, yeah. That's yeah. It makes sense. So I wrote it like as that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how much did you play live with the with the trio with the uh, Wicca trio? Oh yeah, uh, I don't remember now exactly, but yeah, we did a few tours. We, we actually, I remember, we went to Morocco, which is the only time I've been there. So we we played in, in Rabat and we played in Casablanca, and in Tangier. And, and we played in Sevilla, we played mm. in Madrid, we played, yeah, yeah, we did have some tours, some tours in, in Spain. And then after, I remember, no, but that was later with the quintet, yeah, with, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, no, did I play trio first? Maybe, I don't know if it was trio and, and Felix, no, that was maybe later, yeah, exactly, the, after we got, Well, it was the trio with just with Albert and RJ, but also Rafi Garabedian mm -hmm. and, and Felix. Then we, we, we played in Boston and we went up to Maine, you know, oh, was, nice. uh, and in Brooklyn, New York a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we had a good run. Yeah, yeah, we played. We played a, a bunch of gigs mm -hmm. and it was amazing it's for me. I, I remember just so happy, like going on the road with like a, my folder with tunes and thinking is like, okay, I made it happen. No, because that for mm -hmm. me, that's what it means just to, to lead a band. You, you need a tunes for me. It's all about the tunes, the repertoire, you know, mm -hmm. I know, you know, our Blakey, just yes, messengers, a great band leader and, and somebody else writes the tunes, but I, and I totally respect and admire that. And, but that's not what I wanted to do. I felt it's like, I, if I'm going to lead my band, it's just, I got to write the music, you know? Yeah. So, so, After having this like fear of writing for so many years, you know, that I didn't write anything for 10 years, I was so grateful to Guillermo for curing me of that, you know, yeah. my own ego shit. And then suddenly it's like, man, this is magic composition, you know, you mm -hmm. just sit down, write whatever crosses your mind without trying to put your ego, you know, in getting, getting your ego in the way. 
that's an, uh, another great advice. It's like, you don't think seriously about it. You don't need to identify with it. Just write down whatever crosses your consciousness in that moment so it doesn't get lost. Yeah. And then work with it a little bit, polish it till you can make peace with it and you're okay. Mm-hmm. And then it materializes. You have this piece of paper that has this thing that every time you put it in front, you give it to some guys and it happens. Yeah. And you have a band. Yes. You know, and then here now you can go on the road and you're going to Morocco with Albert and RJ to play because you sat down and wrote these little things yes. you know it, it felt so magic it felt like and it's therapeutic right I mean dealing totally. with yourself and dealing with your insecurities yeah. and writing for them or against them sometimes yeah yeah totally it's, it's really truly magic and 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 also what Chip said, then, you know, after you you write a bunch of tunes, you start seeing, it's like, yeah, I like these colors. No, mm-hmm. I like the minor six chord. And yes. <laughs> I like yes. this thing and I like this thing, whatever it is that you, you, you know, and then you can expand for the, from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I mean, saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn a new instrument. Mm-hmm. And f- at least for a little time, turn my back on the other instrument because I have to focus mm-hmm. on this. Yeah. That takes courage, as it takes mm-hmm. courage to leave one of the iconic bands of the last, you know, mm-hmm. decades. <laughs> That takes courage. Yeah, I guess so. But it's life, you know. Yeah, I think it, it happened in a very natural way, you know. With Brad, we had been playing already for 10 years and... And we developed a, a sound uh, that was beautiful and, and we got a lot of audience to really appreciate it. But yeah, there was a point where it started feeling a little too easy. It just felt like, you know, I, I think for me. And and Brad really felt that I was just so much in love with the piano and, and so much. And, and also, you know, it felt like the piano thing, it couldn't really, it was complicated for me to spend enough time at the piano because When I was on the road, I was on the road, so I didn't have access. So sometimes I was carrying a keyboard, which was a pain in the ass and still unfulfilling. And then when I got back home, you know, my my wife then, uh, she was like, okay, you've been one month out and now you're going to go on to play the piano all day? Come on, you, you need to deliver at home, you know? Yeah. She was right, you know, rightly mm-hmm. so. But, you know, then when I'm going to play? Never, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so... You know, it just uh, there was a, a point where I think uh, Brad also felt that that it was nice to have a change. So, so it wasn't like I said, like okay, later. You know, no, we just <laughs> you know, it it just became obvious that it would be nice, and uh, it was like a yeah, like a, something that it just it's ripe to happen, and and it happened very naturally and with a lot of love and everything, and mm. so. I think was great because you know with Brad the, the new trio is a complete a completely different thing so it's a whole other face and and, and develop a completely different sound and for me I, I then suddenly I could just really put the piano at the center of my yeah. life and and then is when I after doing that for a little while I started writing too yeah um, how closely were you following uh, Brad's new trio then Oh, well, not a lot, actually. I mean, I heard them and I, I was very familiar with the music and, and I enjoyed them and I, I I heard it. But 
I felt also consciously that uh, Brad wasn't one of my models as a uh, as a piano player, and I, I was so focused on, on just learning that, that I was looking for other models. And we've been playing so much that I felt that I couldn't even escape Brad's influence because it, I wasn't even trying to escape it. But I was like, you know, Brad was in my <laughs> in my yes. course. We've been playing so much that he's like, okay, that uh, I'm so grateful and and I learned so much from him. But that's already there, you know. So yeah. Uh, that wasn't the point. It was a little bit what I wanted to do was other things. No, and so for me, yeah, I, I look for for models or or things that would be more available for me at the with my level of chops at the piano. You know, yeah. more minimalistic stuff. No? Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about the trio um, with Brad in terms of uh, certain topics like. Uh, I really felt like you've you've created together a, a really uh, unique rhythmic language in terms of playing or feeling free within art meters mm -hmm. and also playing time versus playing pulse in faster mm -hmm. in faster uh, tempos and tunes mm -hmm. and I'm 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 curious how you how you worked on that and how you developed it I don't know. A lot of it is just very intuitive. It's just, it's just what happens when, when you add the sounds of certain certain musicians. You put them, play together, and things just go in certain direction. Just because whatever affinity or, or, musical territories these people tend to share, or, you know, uh, yeah. I remember the first time I played with Brad right away, like after like four bars, I felt like a strong connection. I felt it's like, man, like this, whatever is the slightest uh, nuance that I do in my symbol or in or the little accent, he got it. Yeah. And I didn't, I, 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 I could feel that he understood it, you know, and it wasn't that he would respond immediately. Of course not. No, he was still very much doing his thing and developing his ideas in long term. But I felt that it affected and anything I did affected his next phrase. Like he, he would take note. Okay, that's part of it. And that, mm -hmm. that it wasn't, you know, just felt that he's a very deep listener yeah. and, and a generous, very generous Improviser them that makes room for everything and 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 uh, yeah welcomes any any material. He that was a big thing for him because he I think he the way he played and he would also tell me like you know or he would play something and kind of wait for me to come up with something. So I think his playing is very conversational and very mm -hmm. and he really he needs to to be fed ideas and. And I think a lot of it is melodic ideas. And I think especially for a trio, no? if, if he had a, a, a horn player or, or another soloist, then, you know, the drummer can be just tipping mm -hmm. and, and he can do have that conversation with a soloist. But if he's just trio, you know, okay, yeah, he can get things from the bass, but but rhythmically. And so I think maybe that's what happened, you know. Mm. And, and as a drummer, it's funny, I've never really thought of this this way. <laughs> mm -hmm. But but now today, as thinking of it, I can really see that, you know. I think Brad is really fascinated by melody, you know, and rhythm is a big part of melody, you know. 
before we were talking about the harmonic aspect of melody, but but the yeah. other aspect is just that, the shape and the rhythm yeah. and the phrasing and the dynamics of that. And I think that that's kind of the essence of one of the things that the, the way I approach the drums that maybe uh, makes me sound different from other drummers. You know? mm -hmm. uh, I think on the drums also, I, there is plenty of people who has more chops in, or, or that has studied other things, no? even Jeff, for example, who I totally love, you know, and that's why I'm playing with him <laughs> in, in my band. And uh, But uh, he's studied a lot of, you know, rhythm uh, history, you know, and African rhythms and Middle Eastern and, and Latin American rhythms. I've done some of that, but not there is no comparison. He went way deeper than me, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's a different approach, but I think what I do have is probably because playing trumpet and my my thing about, you know, I'm very aware of the importance of uh, how you, how to make melodies and how to, how a melody is not necessarily eighth notes or quarter notes, it's, it's just a shape, you know? And, and, and dynamics and the, the curve and and, and and how you know how uh, something can be more angular or more round and, and how you pronounce it all all that stuff and it's in, intuitive I don't think especially now I wouldn't even you know 20 years ago when this was going on I wouldn't be able to talk about it in this way mm. but but I think intuitively that was what's going on you know because by then I had been a trumpet player for 10 years mm -hmm. so it was like really in me the, the way I hear music you know and and so I think that uh, that was what's going on and also the fact that I was so much in love with the sound of the piano that that made me dynamically play in a way where I would let that sound come out like yes. I wouldn't cover it with sound. So, so I think that that's something, the things that are important for me that I think can really help. And I remember with Brad even having a little bit of this argument because I remember for a second, you know, when I was like so intense with the piano that he, he said, but what's going on, dude? I mean, is, so are you getting bored? It's like, are the drums boring? You, you get bored playing with me in the trio or what's happening here? And I was like, not at all, man. I, I love the piano. And but, but don't you think if you don't practice the drums ever when whenever we take a break, it's like, I say, well, you tell me. I told him, if you think that my chops are getting weaker and that's suffering, let me know. But honestly, what I believe is that since now I'm playing piano and I'm listening to piano, like my ears for the piano are opening and I think I, I hear much more on, yeah. uh, that I used to hear before. So so the fact that I hear with more detail and more, that, that stimulates my imagination and, and affects the way I play the drums. So I think I think it's, it's good, it's a good thing for a drummer mm. who plays in a piano trio to, to get deeper and closer on the piano, I think. Well, you got a point, and, you know, I remember like uh, one year or two after that, she telling me, oh, I think you were right, it's true, I, I hear this, you know, mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's, you know, it's beautiful, we have a beautiful friendship, and 
and he got it. But I understand that for him, maybe at the beginning, because yeah. I'm very obsessive, you know. So he's like, what's this dude carrying a keyboard? <laughs> you know? It's such a pain in the ass, you know. Plus for him, you know, at the level that he was as a piano player to have to deal with me, kind of like being obsessed with like some beginner shit. And anyway, yeah, must have been a drag. But <laughs> so he was very patient and supportive anyway. But yeah, I think that was an interesting thing. So I feel that... That's what was happening, you know, intuitively always, I think. You know, I just have this tendency to, to phrase melody. And, and I like more and more as, as time goes by, I get more, more into minimalism and sparse thing. You know? Yeah, we have to get into that yeah. later on. <laughs> I, I want yeah. to know more about uh, how you became so free within playing odd meters. Be oh, yeah, I really but... think you guys and you especially, uh, you... You've, you created a, a, an own language of, of playing in odd meters that became mm -hmm. like a standard for other people to, 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 to learn and to appreciate and to, to rise up to maybe or aspire to getting closer to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think we did that together. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I, I, I think that that language is definitely the combination of the three of us, of, of Brad, Larry and me, because what happened is that, yes, uh, I maybe I was the initiator of that, you know, like I, I had this thing like uh, having heard, especially, you know, a little bit Tane and mm -hmm. Bill Stewart, who were both you know using playing in five four and seven and using subdivisions of quintuplets and seven a little bit that opened a little bit the palette of of what was used before no which mainly everybody else everybody else it was just like three against two which there is so much there already you know but yeah. you know playing three four or six eight and triplets so this opened it a little bit more and so yeah I was very, I was like the nerd drummer in that sense, yeah, that, that I would bring that nerdy, more disciplined way of studying that, more methodical, you know, so I, I do, I would like, you know, starting the, to see these relationships, mathematical relationships, you know, like how the thing in, I didn't know what time it was, you know, like to do four equal in in a five, four, shit like that, that's yeah. very basic, but that in that moment it wasn't, you would hear that, that yeah. often. Uh, so, so I took care of that, and I would practice that in an extremely me methodical way at home. Uh, actually, like what, during the, like how how would you do it? Yeah, well, basically, I would uh, uh, I would put the metronome extremely slow, <laughs> as slow as it went. Then we didn't have I didn't have digital metronome anyway, so the slowest was forty. <laughs> But and then. Uh, Have the, I would be alone in the basement, you know, in Brooklyn, <laughs> the Street. And then uh, I would uh, hear the tune. Either I didn't know what time it was, or it might as well be spring, which is a very long form. And mm. especially when you put the metronome at 40, like each chorus is a long time, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, basically what I would do is just play the tune and then... Part of it would be to find uh, a pattern that would work for for the tune, you know, especially for the it might as well be spring because that was like a mix of songo, you know, but in seven four kind of like you know the Afro Cuban and Cascara. But so the the 
little bit that I knew about Latin rhythms, uh, applying it to 7-4. But the other thing was just that I, I felt, yeah, I had a voice very conscious. I would like to feel as loose in 7-4 and 5-4 as I do in 4. So I should be able to play over the bar line. So then I would just take very simple patterns, you know, like so if I just play snare, tom-tom, floor tom, three quarter notes, that's a three-four. There you go. Right. So boom, you know. So I remember that I would and I would do it for a long time and in super slow tempo. So I was thinking probably the neighbors or whoever sees me practicing thinks that I lost my mind. It's like <laughs> this dude has been for two hours just playing <laughs> what's wrong with him? <laughs> but of course, while I was playing that, I was hearing that displacing over the form of, you know. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was very interesting because that that allowed me also to find things that were very easy to execute because they were not tricky because they were very simple kind of melodically you know and technically and also the fact that i'm doing a pattern i would do it with certain sticking so that comes with a certain muscle mellow memory you know right especially when you do it a little faster then that's why it comes the whole thing i know i'm jumping around a lot you know but oh, it's fine. basically the idea is that you get used or you discover how three, four, for example, sounds, or three group, groupings, no, like a three, four sounds on seven, four. So basically how you to play seven, four or five, four in groups of three or in groups of seven. So just mix groupings of notes in different meters. And then again, how you discover? Well, by just spending time doing it. So I would just... And then I thought that was a great exercise because at the same time you are reinforcing how to hear the tune, you know, because if, if you try to hear groups of four bars of three, four, how you, do you do it? You do it by counting bars. It's first is boring and then, it's, then it's, you have to be concentrating counting bars. And, mm. But if you have a four, then the harmony guides you, you know. You you have a harmony that you know you know that is eight bars or sixteen bars and then comes the bridge, so the harmonic rhythm is is what is telling you the number of bars, and then what you're playing on top of that harmonic rhythm you, the figure that displaces and how do you keep that figure you keep it because the muscular memory a lot of it is also with paradiddles no you right. have a five you know right right left left for example no. Uh, yeah, you can do the the, the, the regular paradiddle, or, or if you just do double rolls, that's a, a four. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. already an idea of four. You do that in three places, these places, no? Mm -hmm. Or you do right, left, left, right, left, right, that's the five, typical, no? Mm -hmm. With that, you got a five idea, and then you, you know that with the right, it's going to be like that. So anyway, it's a very recognizable sound. If you put, you know, the right, for example, in, in the snare and the left on the tom-tom and you do, you know, you know <laughs> like the A-flat is the tom-tom, the A is the, mm -hmm. <laughs> is the snare. So you get something that, so your body mechanically by muscle memory and because the sound of the pattern is giving you the sound of the five and you put that in triplets or in eighth notes 
in a 7-4 bar or in a 3-4 bar, whatever it is, you know, and always within the form of the tune. So I mm. thought this was a very interesting thing because you're exercising a lot of stuff, you know. You are exercising uh, the form of the tune, you are getting into the tune because you're working on a tune, but you're working on rhythmic displacement of patterns and also the fact that you're playing something very simple and you spend a long time because you want to see the whole cycle, you know, and how many choruses it takes to start in the same place. Oh, every three yeah. choruses, or in this case, every five choruses. Mm -hmm. So also it's just a, an exercise in pure focus, not nearly like a meditation, just mm -hmm. stay focused on the tune for a long time, you know. So you're working on a lot of things. It's a very holistic mm -hmm. <laughs> exercise. Uh, so yeah, that's basically all of it, you know, I, I did variations of that. I did this for about a couple, for about two years, you mm -hmm. know, 93, 94 is when I did this stuff, or 94, 95. That was, and after that is when I basically stopped practicing drums. But, but <laughs> yeah, but that was the last stuff that I practiced in drums. And, and it was good. And then I, so I started feeling a little bit more comfortable, like starting phrases and that. And then what happened is that uh, Brad didn't do any of this, but I would bring that to the table and he's got great ears. So uh, so he would, you know, intuitively play off that. So I think I initiated a little bit of this thing of how mm -hmm. to open it, you know, how to, to start phrases in a part of the bar that you naturally would never, you know, especially when you are not used to. But that's the, the thing is that the fact that you're displacing a rhythm is going to make you mathematically to start phrases in every place of the bar, you know, <laughs> so so it really opens it up. So I would initiate that and then Brad would just feel it, you know, mm -hmm. and Larry would, would be the anchor, you know, yeah. so he would have this support. So Brad would take just these real, real chances many times without being sure, especially at the beginning. He's like starting a phrase with me, kind of like following it, but he would know that Larry would, and he would say, he's like, yeah, I'm relying on you guys, you know. <laughs> so it just happened very organically, you know, but we wouldn't talk too much about it at all. You know, mm -hmm. all this, I, it was just in my mind. I did all my my homework at home, let's say, you know, and it wasn't even homework. I was just curious about this. This was like, you know, the kind of things that I was curious about developing my, my rhythmic ear. And then Brad intuitively, consciously, but very intuitively did it in his way. And for me, responding to his phrasing and that, I think, so that's why I really feel that we develop a, a way of phrasing together, you know, so... Yeah. It's like it's, you cannot say what's first, if the hen or the egg, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was the initiator a little bit of the idea and I, the one who would bring like the kind of scientific or <laughs> practice thing a little bit. But, yeah. but Brad's ear Professor so Hossi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nerd drummer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Brad would just totally eat that stuff up, like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then come up with all his, you know, great phrasing and, and that and, uh, and I would react to that so yeah that's cool yeah, it was really fun <laughs> very interesting another um, I don't know if you want to comment on that but uh, an, another signature or very very um, typical sound and feel of you guys is a very fast song mm. with mm -hmm. uh, Larry not walking at all but mm -hmm. more or less playing even like the one in the bar or whatever mm -hmm. in the bar, but yeah. you having the, the, the fast feel and the pulse 
mm-hmm. and Brad being on the same uh, rhythmical uh, yeah. uh, up there uh, level. Yeah. And but but uh, Larry holding it down without playing dong 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 dong, but yeah. more like like dong, ba dong 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 ba dong dong dong, and yeah. that, this would be like the the feel. Mm. Is that something that you guys talked about, or did did that just happen? Same thing. It just yeah. happened, you know. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's also organically, you know, because also it just happened that when that trio took off was right after I had my problem with tendonitis, you know, that was that happened in 94. And when we recorded uh, introducing Brad Melda, that was 95. Mm. Uh, during that year, I couldn't play more than one or two hours maximum because I had pain in my arms. So I was very much into playing without too much density, you know, to leave space. So for fast tunes, you know, even that, yeah, I, I can, I could do it, but, you know, that would be very tiring for me. So so the idea was to really open it up, you know. So it was more that instead of um, playing poles would be to... Oh, what's the word now? It has come to me. Imply, mm-hmm. imply yeah. poles. So that's the thing. Yeah, we're here in this fast division and we're playing off it. But even brother and me, we're never continuously playing eighth right. notes. No? So yeah. we, but we, we we play. Yeah, our texture is based in eighth notes. Yes. Larry is not is in a slower grid, but but we're not playing the grid. So it's not pattern oriented. It's more yeah. like texture oriented and, and melody oriented. Yeah. And harm, harmonic rhythm. So, yeah. And, and again, the, all these things make, it just happen for a, a mix of what we are curious about and our limitations. You know, in my mm-hmm. case, it happened a lot of bit of, of that. Yeah, I just didn't. I was very conscious of not hurting myself. So mm. I plus I like space anyway. So yeah. I, that that pushed me in that direction is already of playing. Just play less shit, leave, leave more space, and also start mixing because it's, uh, these fast tempos also open the door, I think, for me to, to instead of playing all the time the fast subdivision, sometimes also instead of dividing with like, you know, if, you are, if I'm doing eight notes, it would be every bar, you know, you have eight, you know, you're, and, um, you hit eight times if you're yeah. doing pure eight notes. But if, you know, uh, to to have slower subdivisions, you know, and even when, when the one is moving like that, I could do, okay, so I'm actually going to play a, a long quintuplet that, so five strokes every two bars. So that's like, so that really, and I think that that comes to into that texture too, you know, like it really yeah. opens up that it's kind of like breathes and, and it's like in the air and, so then we were uh, the only thing that we would talk it was it was this thing of trust of thinking is like we don't need to understand mathematically what everybody's doing we don't need to get in this it's actually exciting and nice to have three subdivisions like you know yeah. Larry might be playing in yeah like uh, yeah half notes no main texture kind of or not even that like dotted half notes sometimes as you were saying leave a lot of space and then Brad at some point is playing triplets and I'm playing quintuplets or and it's, it doesn't match and that's the beauty of it it's yeah. like you know <laughs> and, or, or, diversity or some, yeah exactly yeah you have all this and then actually what started happening pretty fast actually I was just aware that because everybody's ear 
especially at this time, I think might be a little bit different. But I think between people who are not musicians, uh, quintuplets and uh, also some divisions of seven were so unusual that they sounded just like rubato, just right, sounded yeah. out of the grid. So then is that for me opened the door. It's like, okay, maybe actually now I can also do sometimes five and seven, but I can also just fuck the grid, you know? Just, Play rubato. Yeah, thinking mm -hmm. like more like the, the Jacques de Jeanette for me yeah. was a model of somebody like that. Elvin too, you know, but especially those two, you know, sometimes Tony, but these guys that I'm sure they they all, they all did that, did these things, you know, they play sometimes consciously uh, seven and that, but never in a, such a mathematical way as you could hear Bill Stewart or Tain, yeah. you know, from my that generation or the generation immediately. And uh, this was for me the connection with that, you know. And now as years go by, I, I developed that much more. It's like, no, for me, I'm just really interested. It doesn't matter. Like I have a pulse that might be very basic. Mm. And then the texture that I play, it has doesn't need to be any mathematical pulse. I can use an as an inspiration, yeah, close to five, mm -hmm. close <laughs> to seven. But you know, that's just, just to to have like a more or less an idea of where where it's going to be. But then don't worry about mathematically it has to bam, you know. Yeah. Because yeah, that just makes everything just really like that. And it's just less interesting. Mm -hmm. There is no point. You know, I just prefer to breathe more and just just have different textures. So yeah. Maybe yes, that's the contribution. But maybe mm. something I want to say that for me made this really great, and this is really that I think we had this hookup. But I think it's really something that Brad has that that I think is very important. Is that whenever we did all this nerdy shit, he was still always very lyrical. You know, yes. that was an element, but it was never about that. That was just a little color on top. Yeah. Still, the tune was what was important, and and dynamics, and and the emotion and the, the lyrical thing about the tune, you know. So it, it never became like a nerdy game, and mm -hmm. and I think that's for me the most important thing. Yeah, you know, because for me this thing it, it expands a little bit the palette of colors. That's great, but that's all it is. You know, it's, it's not that's not the big deal. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's a thing that calls your attention because oh, this is different. Yeah, but for me, being different is not as important as being good. Yes, <laughs> as sounding good. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes uh, people lose lose uh, track of things like uh, focusing on a rhythmic or whatever musical uh, theoretical uh, aspect, and. Yeah. Uh, making it too big, and they lose track of the of the music. Yeah, or, yeah. or, or other aspects, no? Like that aspect becomes so much that can become a little gimmicky, or, or not yeah. even gimmicky, but just, just yeah, just one one dimensional. No, it's like it's like let's not forget that you still you know gotta tell a story and it's yeah. gotta be beauty and and it and that. And in that sense, Brad was extremely clear always, and and. And I totally doubt that. That's for me the most important. Yeah. I feel like like big impacts on your musical direction were obviously the changes of instruments, the the association with with Brad and all your friends from Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And then you switch to piano, and then uh, something that we talked about the first time when I met you 
and we were living in, in different mm -hmm. apartments next to each other in Basel yeah. when we played there for a week. I already yeah, interviewed exactly. you back then, you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is my one chance to play with Jorge. And he just played with Wayne and he has all these uh, experiences of, of, you know, of playing with my hero and he's my hero. So yeah. I need to make use of all the minutes I could get with you. So yeah. we would go to the supermarket. I would ask you about Wayne. We, we, you know. <laughs> all right. um, to yeah. So I think this is a, was a, um, because I think it, it really changed your playing like that, that mm -hmm. experience. It sure did, yeah. And um, you've told me that story many times, but I want to hear it again of uh, <laughs> playing the, the story where, where Wayne told you about the most fitting thing in a certain situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you, can you share <laughs> yeah. the story again? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I told you many times, yeah. But, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I don't get tired of that because, yeah, that was such a life-changing, yeah. not only musically, but in every way, you know, just the, because, of course, Wayne is, like, is, my, is one, or if, if I had to pick one, <laughs> I guess, be also my hero. But, no, unfortunately, I don't have to. But he's, of mm -hmm. course, huge influence in, in, any, in every way and, and amazing. It was really amazing. I remember going back on the plane and thinking what I lived during these 16 days, I, I treasure it and I hope I will never forget it. So any chance to just retelling stories to other people is a, a way for me to relieve it, to, you know, and to find. And I also knew that I learned a lot of things and, and many of those things that I learned or that I, I lived, they, I would, they would keep unfolding and keep presenting new lessons, you know, for me. Yeah. So... I felt like I was just handed a great treasure, you know, and, and that would unfold for years to come. So, so I love to talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, that story, basically, I remember that was on the ninth gig. We did 10 gigs. So that was already in the ninth gig, one of the last gigs where I was supposed to have found some kind of comfort zone. <laughs> but, but of course, I was very aware that that was exactly what Wayne was not interested in any comfort zone. So, but, you know, he's definitely not into, like, patting anybody in the back after the gig. That was very nice or, or, or too analyzing or that I like that, I didn't like that. No, he's like, well, we play, you have your experience, you face your own fears and your own demons, and then we go to the hotel, you know, <laughs> that's it. And then the next day, same thing. And, and the, the main thing, and, and that that was it. He really was encouraging me to actually to play completely out out of the box and out of any comfort zone. That he was that actually that's what wasn't tolerated, kind of in some ways, you know. So it's not so free. It was very free, but <laughs> not so free. Mm. So because is you can do anything as long as you are uncomfortable, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I I understand as long as you don't trap me in any of your comfort zones because I see. But anyway, the way he said it, what happened concretely? That's the story. Getting to yeah. the point, we played this tune in that repertoire we were playing. There were only two moments where there were some some comfort zones in the sense of some kind of recognizable groove. Everything else was kind of like, you know, each man for himself. <laughs> and where is one who knows mm. <laughs> who cares <laughs> you know so but there were two moments one was kind of seven four bam which was you know yeah. kind of 
comfortable. And the other one was also this kind of bass figure in one of the tunes of, of this suite called Starry Night, where there was a, a bass kind of figure uh, that would, you know, suggest some kind of Ponciana territory groove for the drums, you know, very loosely, but that would, well, that would come to mind for me anyway. So this is the ninth gig and we're playing it and it just feels so unfamiliar, you're so fucked up and, and, and then it suddenly gets much faster and it's like, um, and, and then I just get this paranoia, you know, in the middle of playing that is like, wow, you know, maybe I got it wrong, maybe I don't, you know, I got the baseline wrong and then where I've been thinking all this tour that one was, is wrong and I've been playing this tune wrong the whole fucking tour because it just felt so so awkward, you know. So whatever, I get through it, you know, we just play and the gig. And at the end of the gig, I, I just asked John, so John, you know, in that tune, then I sing the bass line and that's one, right? I said, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> What's the deal? And he's like, wow, man, today, today, man, like the, the way these guys were playing, Danilo and, and, and Wayne, man, it was just so hard. I, I started doubting. He's like, oh, yeah, those guys are crazy. <laughs> you know, no biggie. <laughs> So I said, wow, I still kind of freaked out. So I just went to the dressing room and Wayne was alone. And even knowing that he never comments and probably he doesn't like, so I didn't want to force him or anything. But I just kind of dropped something. You know? I just said like, wow, yeah, wow, that was fun. But wow, there were a couple of moments where I really, really didn't know what I was doing or what, what you know, what to do. I, I felt like really, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know when when you find something that goes really well with what the piano player is doing and, and the bass player and 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 it's hip. Stay away from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Miles used to say there are many doors. You know, you go to this place and there is all these doors and and there is that that one that's the awkward door have the courage to go through that door yeah because you know awkward you know that word you know awkward when, when it feels, feels awkward you, you just have to come up with something so have the courage to go through that door and that mm. was it that was the you know so yeah totally unforgettable lesson you know yeah beautiful yeah so and that's the the sense i felt that for him and he also truly told me he gave me many unforgettable mini lessons like that because he would never speak for a long time but but he just would say something that was like a very clear idea that he just planted in your mind and that would stay forever you know and that that was the other one that yes you, you know he would say like who are you you know just look at you in the eye and who are you <laughs> there is nowhere to hide you know just yeah. scary as hell you know but what do you bring to the table you know and just play anything will make something up and that was it you know so so for him and yeah the other one that it was just great he says like music it's just a language life that's what matters mm. so yeah it's just deep you know but so true you know and then you realize it's not 
is I don't think he was expecting any musical result or you know like so that's the thing that's why I, I know when he said it's hip I know that hipness is not what he's going for yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a clue mm. <laughs> hip. so yeah I don't think he he's looking for an experience mm -hmm. you know, especially that was uh, he, he was already 79 you know so that's way not 79 where he's you know he doesn't have anything to prove and he's really he just wants to have an ex explore and have an experience and have mm. some people who are just really you know yeah something really meaningful and 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 it's meaning things uh, at least i think that's his theory you know he really believes in that you know to be in uh, in an awkward position or to experience some resistance that's gonna elevate you you know yeah I think I saw a video where he talks about that, you know, why does a plane take off? Because there is some resistance. Yeah. You know, if there is no resistance, you're not going to take off, you know. Mm -hmm. So I see that. I see that. And it was just uh, amazing, you know. Mm. Yeah. What do you think did you bring to the table when you played with that group? Because it's so iconic with their mm -hmm. original drummer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you think when you look back or listen back? What do you think you you maybe changed in their approach? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I cannot conceptualize it. All I tried to bring it was just just energy, just to play honestly and, and just experience. And uh, I felt I was that was just like an amazing privilege that I got uh, that I will be always thankful. Mm. And I tried to survive. I was in panic a lot of the time. And at the same time, extremely happy and extremely yeah. fulfilled. And, and I, I, you know, so, no, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I don't know. I, I haven't tried to analyze. What was your um, uh, preparation process for that gig? <laughs> Panicking, basically. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember, like, uh, yeah, because when they told me that, you know, they told me in January, the end of January and it was in June so I had plenty of time I, I first I was like super happy because it was like a real dream come true you know not even a dream that I would dare to to do but of course yeah so and something that made me very happy but at this at the other time uh, at the same time I remember hearing that band before I got the call I, I heard it like maybe five or six times by then and I remember the last time I heard them in Barcelona I remember very clearly having this thought, actually, it's like, man, this band is incredible. It's such a privilege to be able to witness this life yeah. because it's so unique what they're doing, you know, and, and so, but it takes so much courage and uh, and it's not easy. And, and I, I felt it's like, I love being able to watch this and I'm so happy I'm not playing in the band. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Brian, you've got this. Yeah, I remember that thinking exactly these with these words and everything you know so it was kind of prophetic it was like oh mm. shit <laughs> now i got this just for for a few days what i what i'm gonna do you know so yeah uh i try you know i i i call the management and to see if they could send me some music is what are we gonna do and they say like well we don't know you know things if you want i can send you some recordings of some gig from one year ago but you know we're not sure we're gonna be playing this music anyway and 
But, you know, here it is, so they send it, you know. So I remember just looking at videos, you know, trying to learn Joy Rider, especially, yeah. you know, because it's a hard tune, and, yes. and, and I guess they were playing that at the end. So I work on Joy Rider, basically, and, and a few other tunes just from the videos, try to, to see that. But it was just so loose, you know. How did you work on Joy Rider? Because it's, it's really an iconic and, and very, very difficult, yeah. challenging well, tune. Yeah, just listen to the melody and just try to just try to learn what was there. Try to learn the part, you know. Mm. Try to check out what Brian was playing. But I thought I'm sure I wasn't expected to play literally that. Any version was different anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I felt that. But I felt if I if I really know the melody really well, then I can be really loose and yeah. and, and play loose over it. That that's the, the objective. No, but really know the material. But that was it. All the other tunes were not so hard, you know, in that sense. But but the hardness wasn't about that. It was just about just really improvising so freely and, and in such a decisive way, uh, affirmative and to the point where it's nearly aggressive. You no, know? it's, it's not mm -hmm. like you're, you're not like kind of waiting for something. No, you're you're making things happen. Mm -hmm. You know, very extremely proactive. You know, mm. he actually would say that reacting is not enough. He would tell me that at some point, you know, that was the same idea of just skip and stay, you know. Yeah. That's reacting, you know, try to find a part that goes well with what everybody else is doing. It's like, no, no, who are you? What do you bring? Yeah. And don't be afraid to completely disagree and force everybody into another direction. Mm. That's you know, that was basically the way of saying, it, you know, that that's so, yeah, that was yeah that was it was really life-changing because i'm the kind of person that I, i don't like conflict you know and i like to please everybody and to be always happy with a smile and that and and so that was a yeah ultimate challenge of saying like that's fine but it's limiting if you if if you're always in that role that's going to be kind of always the same it's like mm. there is more to life than that you know yeah. kind of like <laughs> so Let's let's see what's out there, you know. So yeah, it's very important this thing. I think that we often we see ourselves and as a person musically and, and outside of music too, no, as that's I think identity such an important thing, no? And identity is just like a, a fixed idea that we put, you know, on top of us because identity is fluctuating always. It's you know <laughs> so It gives us a certain sense of security, something to hold on, but do we really need it? Mm -hmm. Probably not. It's just that same thing that we can hold on and can be helpful. It's like uh, crutches, you know. Mm -hmm. When you you broke a leg, the crutches is, is is helpful, but when, when you're healed, you better get rid of them. If yes. not, they get in the way. You mm -hmm. can't run with them, you know. So that's very important, I think, to forget about who we are and what we think we like and what we think we cannot do because maybe we can do much more. And actually, I was I already said before, that's I felt all that tour like that, like a tiger was was following me. And yeah. I felt that it made me play louder and more intense and out of the box than I ever played in my life, you know. Yeah. So in that sense is what I feel. Is I feel that after that tour, my range in every way, in terms of volume, dynamics, uh, ideas, confidence, my range just expanded. Yeah. A lot. Totally, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> what an experience. Yeah. I think you had the, the ultimate adventure of, of subbing in a, in a band. Uh, but I'm wondering what 
coming out of that experience, mm -hmm. what a more general advice of you um, could be for somebody to sub in a band, mm -hmm. not only in a band like that, but general advice, but because we all do it and we all have yeah. to do it and we're mm -hmm. all facing the same thing, which is there's usually somebody else in the band who is there mm -hmm. for a reason yeah, and for his sound, her sound. Uh, yeah. their uh, uh, individual individuality or uh, mm -hmm. spirit and now you come in yeah what's the what are the important things to do when you're a sub yeah well but i think it depends on the band no it depends maybe there is some band where yes there there is very defined thing and but first i would say that's not your responsibility responsibility is whoever called you because unless you force yourself into the band that that's actually that thought helped me a lot when i was panicking before the tour started and i was thinking man you know yeah i was thinking of that like you know this band is so intense and i'm such a bourgeois guy you know it's like, <laughs> and brian is playing with all this intensity and i can do that but i don't know if i can have what it takes you know to and it's like And I remember I was panicking one day. I remember I I, I, I called, I was panicking at three in the morning. I couldn't sleep, like kind of anxiety attack, you know? And I thought, who I, who I need to talk to somebody maybe to come down and uh, who can I call? And then I remember, well, Vision McLean is in Argentina. So it's during the day there, I can call him. Yeah. <laughs> and he was very helpful. He said like, first thing he says is like, well, you didn't call them, right? So if it doesn't work, it's not your fault. <laughs> You know? Right. Yeah. So that first is wow. I was like, that's cool. You should trust them. You know, is they are good musicians. They know who they call, and they so if they call you, is that they believe it's gonna work. So and you know, and and of course you know that playing with great musicians is just much easier mm. because they play clear. What they play is beautiful. Is great. But just trust you. Come on, just go. You're an improviser. You'll be okay. You know. So I would just say that, yeah, just trust the judgment. If they call you, it's, it's for that. Another thing is somebody calls you for, for something very specific, and if you feel like you're not equipped, then reject the gig. Yeah, I've done that before, too. It's like, no, man, I love this music, but I cannot play it. So please don't expect me to be. I've done that several times, you know. Yeah. But it, this was clearly not the case, because I think it's very open band, you know. Still, it's true that there is some things, but... Uh, some requirements, but those requirements for me are much more, they are not musically specific. They are more like, yeah, like that, out of your comfort zone. Don't bring any backbeats, any swing, you know, let's, don't impose something on the band. Just be ready for, for danger and bring danger. That's yeah. a little bit, he didn't say it in those words, but I, I that's the, what I interpret, you know, uh, intensity, you know, and Uh, so, yeah, I, I just try to provide that to, in that case. But for uh, for me, actually, a great advice that I would say, and I, I've been saying to people, is like, you know, I I was so lucky that I had this this experience that helped me to take several steps that really uh, made my range and my self confidence much bigger. You know then think it's so sad that I needed this in order to accomplish that kind of freedom because that was in me anyway. That was totally available to me before, mm -hmm. you know. So why did I need one shutter to break those barriers? Why couldn't I just break those barriers myself? So mm. I, that's what I tell people. Don't wait till one shutter calls you. To You can break those barriers today. 
Yes. Just feel free and just do that, you know, just feel free to to disagree, feel free to put your sound there forcefully and clearly, you know, yeah. and feel free to be yourself, and, you know, and, and maybe your sound is just 20 bars of silence and just put that vibe and stay cool with it when everybody else in the band is figuring out why the fuck you don't play anything. It's like, well, that's what I'm hearing right now. Yeah. And just be, be brave, you know, don't be afraid to, 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 to be yourself. You know, I know it sounds such a topic, but it's, it's not easy. I think we are, yeah, it's, yeah. So, so funny, so much talk about freedom, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then being free is so scary. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. that, that would be, I think, the, the advice, you know, yeah. because in terms, in terms of serving, I think it's a very more specific, you know, depends on who you're serving. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. What do you expect from a sub in your band? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, I expect expect her or him <laughs> to uh, to learn uh, no to, to be able to connect with the music you know either learning it or or maybe in the moment you know it also since I choose this app <laughs> uh, I think I have a different expectation for uh, for different apps you know like uh, so it, it depends who I call you know mm -hmm. Uh, and it would depend on the band. It also yeah. depends on the band, the repertoire, you know. But I'll definitely done. I would never expect a sub to sound like the person he's subbing for. No, yeah. I would take that that occasion to to expand. Actually, the the is like I would expect that this sub to bring a completely different point of view, which is that's gonna happen, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> that so. And I would expect myself to be able to enjoy that and to, yeah. you know, so because that's a great occasion. Yeah, you, you don't, fortunately, you cannot have the person that you would have liked to have there. But then you're lucky enough that there are so many wonderful musicians there. And then you have an occasion to, for for you and for your music to to try a new costume, you yes, know? Totally. <laughs> to be, yeah, to have a new point, new life. So that's what I would try is just, just enjoy it. So just that I hope, you know, I would try always to try to call somebody who would be able to connect with the music. And if I feel that if I have some time to try, because if the sub stays in the band for a few days, I also will be very open to actually change the repertoire to adapt to the sub too. Mm -hmm. If I feel, you know, instead of trying to have like a fight, you know, if I feel that there are some tunes that don't resonate with this person, I would just drop those tunes and find what's, what's good to play with this person since I have the privilege of being yeah. able to play with them, you know. That's cool. Um, I, I think the next chapter, chapter in, in uh, I mean, we're, you're always developing within... Mm -hmm every experience when you play but I think uh, when we talked about this before it's like you told me like it was a big game changer when you first played with Al Foster and he, mm -hmm. he, he I think you said he completely turned around your your view on what it means to play the drums mm -hmm. yeah and I when I hear you then or when I heard you then after that experience I, I can 
I can dig that. I can I can understand. Wow. But I, I would like to to hear what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, very interesting. Is I guess you could relate it a little bit with this idea too of just putting your thing. You know, I remember that. I wasn't so conscious of that, but when I was playing before this, you know, of course I was familiar with Alforster's playing because I love his playing for me for decades, but I hadn't played with him, so I didn't know how that feel. But I I was aware that Al Foster has like these language things, these these things that he does, you know, which is kind of his signature. Many of them are you could call them riffs, you know. Or, or groups or patterns, these kind of melodic ideas that he might keep the same idea for a number of bars, you know. So you can use those kind of compositionally to give shape to the tune and for many, you know, you can use these this language resources in different ways. And, and he does it in a way that's very clear, you know, and but if you look at it superficially, you can think that that Like basically, I always liked it when I hear him playing it, but I wouldn't allow myself to do that because precisely this thing that that would mean in some ways that I'm not playing so organically with the rest of the band, you know. At first sight, though. Yeah, at first sight, exactly. Yeah. You you think, but of course, it's it's like the, the the idea of comping, you know, like the the way Duke Ellington or comps or Horace Silver or sometimes somebody. If you think more compositionally, then that's the thing, you know. You know this idea that the there is the reactive kind of comping where you are really yeah just trying to 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 be close to everybody and to support them and to leave space or or give an idea depending on what they play. That's one aspect and one part of comping. And the other part of comping is like no, I'm comping. I'm just playing the tune, you know, and I'm developing some aspects of the tune, so I'm playing. I'm playing these chords or I'm playing this figure because for me this belongs to the spirit of the tune and it's carrying the tune into the next place or it's like a, an element of the tune, you know. And like, uh, yeah, like some written background or shout chorus idea that you do in an orchestra. And then there is a soloist who's playing on top of that and doesn't need to relate close to that necessarily at all. You know, so I understand that conceptually and that, but it's not something that I would allow for me to make, to do some so much on the drums. And I was familiar with the concept for you know because as a piano player, you know that that's something that helped me because I felt that my ears are not so good, you know, to do like Brad is really great at at, at this thing of catching, you know, really fast ear, just catching the perfect voice into what the soloist is doing. I was aware I couldn't do that, you know, so, or, or definitely not in, yeah, yeah, I couldn't just do that. I could do it maybe in a very low level for obvious things that, but, but my, you know, I wouldn't trust my, my ability to do that. So, I understood that and I, I look for ways of comping and then I, kind of discover for myself this obvious thing, but that for me was new at the moment. No, it's like, okay, no, you can just play some kind of like a, some cool voicings and some stuff that you think sounds good in this tune. And then your soloist will deal with, that's going to inspire the soloist, you know, if they are listening to the comping. But you're independent, don't, don't worry, don't, don't let that, you know, cut your flow. 
but as a drummer, I felt that it's like, oh, you know, uh, as a drummer, I don't have the, the problem, the harmonic problems or the thing, so I, I can really react. So I was focusing much more on reacting, mm. and or if not grooving. So I was thinking it's either reacting or keeping a groove. But for me, the idea of playing some counterpoint melodies, you know, that are completely independent, that for me feel too obtrusive, too intrusive. It feel like like nearly I'm, I'm competing with the melody. You know, I'm, I'm calling all the attention to play my little cute figure. And and okay, Al Foster is great. I don't know. He it sounds good, but but I don't know. I couldn't include that in my playing because I yeah when I felt drums, I felt that that might be too disruptive. You know. But then when I had the experience of playing and Al doing that and then seeing how that instead of getting in my way was the opposite, it supported me Yes. so much, you know, because it's, it's something that is fun. It's, it's like an idea that's carrying the music from A to B, you know, so it's giving content to the music, it's giving. And at the same time, it's a clear figure that you can play anything with and that. It's also timekeeping. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah, it's, it's it, a lot of it is like a riff, you yeah, know? which is so much into what jazz and rock is made of riffs, no? Like, yeah. So it's such a simple concept, but but you know you have to unpack it, you know, because for me it was a mystery why it sounds so good. It's like man, I, you know, and and then with time, you know, I, I, I understand it. You now after I experienced it, and after I hear the recording, because on the moment where we kind of it just felt good. I wasn't even analyzing, you know, I was too busy just trying to play. Yeah. But then when I hear the recording, it's like, man, check this out. He's just doing this and it sounds so cool. Yes. Wow. So, yeah, so that really opened my, opened me a lot conceptually to play into this melodic and more independent, which goes also with the Wayne thing, no? Who are you? You know, so right. I'm the guy who plays this thing, you know? Yes. This is my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my signature. Yeah. Here I am, you know. <laughs> mm. I love this, and this is part of my my music, my voice. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, and it's a very clear statement again. That goes back to your solo beginnings and and clear statements also. Why not do it yeah. at the drums? You know. Yeah. As exactly. an accompaniment. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I also feel like he has changed, or uh, he has influenced your sound a bit in terms of choices of, of symbols. I didn't mm. see you play Paiste symbols before, right? I mean, you were more interested yeah. or, or focusing on the, the older uh, type of, you know, vintage symbols yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, but no, I think maybe I started using the Paistes a little bit before that. Okay, anyway. sorry, maybe, maybe yeah. then I've made a But no, no, connection. but I connected. No, 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 but, but yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, a few years before that, I was, uh, uh, but it's possible because, yeah, that the fact that I switched to Paistas, even if I hadn't played with him, but I, of course I've heard him and I was aware of that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm sure that has to do with him, of course. Mm. Yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, a, a brighter sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very cool to see how you are still searching mm -hmm. on that level as well. You know, every time I see you, you have something new and you find the different uh, spectrums of, of sound within new gear. Yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the next 
chapter maybe, or for me at least, recognizable chapter is something that you touched on before, is um, working with Jakob Bro, uh, and that something that you already talked about a little bit, but maybe you can go in, uh, into it a little bit more yeah. deeply. Great, yeah. No, no, this has been uh, really, really beautiful, because basically, I mean, I had played with Jakob before. I remember we did some gigs with Likonitz, and but that was you know comping for Lee and and it was really fun and it was cool, and then but then he called me, Jacob called me to play with Pali Mickelwork and um, uh, uh, Thomas Morgan and I had never played with uh, with any of them with Thomas a little bit once just in a session at my Canaan's but many years ago. And we, I've never played with Pale or even meet him. He was super sweet. It was incredible. But the thing here is that I was subbing for John Christensen, who was a, a huge influence on me, you know, mm. because in the 80s, you know, hearing first just, you know, my song for, with, and, but also um, other records. I remember this one called Solstice. But I, I remember that. Um, Just his sound, you know, the flat ride yeah. and the, <laughs> the whole thing. I really love his playing. But the, to go to the point is that what I heard, the stuff that returnings, yeah, what Jacob played with, with uh, when John played with Jacob and, and yeah. Thomas and Pale, was always out of the grid in terms of the poles. Yes, and it was for me very interesting to see that many times it's like even Jacob and Thomas were actually playing in a pulse, where if you follow them, we'll be playing some kind of even eight thing, you know. But Pale and John would be completely like different dimension, you know. Not in one tune as a special color, but all the time that's what they do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So when Jacob called me for that, I, I mentioned this. It's like, wow, I think I love this. And, and But Jacob, one of the things that is very characteristic of what I love about him too, but that is just the way he is. He is totally open and, and to play with you too. So he's like, no, but you know, you don't have to do what John plays. Just, you know, I, I love your playing. You do whatever you want. Just, I was like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I actually, I want to do this because this is very intriguing for me, mm. you know. And I love the way it sounds, so I hope that I develop that. So, so that opened the door for me to do that, you know, like to play that way, which is something that I had done with Wayne. I had to do it. I was <laughs> that was a big part of the menu there. But uh, besides that experience, I only had done that as a special color for some tune, but never to think is that no, no, this is this is what I do all night. <laughs> and and it has been fascinating to develop that, you know. Mm. It's now only in the last months I did also I play a little bit with with another quartet with with Thomas and Mark Turner, mm. where where we played. Uh, and then in some moments I get into time there a little bit. How how it's, different is it for you to experience your old friend Mark, which you've done so many different things together with, yeah. but also in your group, which is very different from yeah. Jakob Bro's music. Yeah. How how cool is it to experience him in that context? Oh, it's incredibly cool. Yeah, I was very curious because when I played with Mark, I had been playing with Jakob already for a while, sometimes with Pale, sometimes in trio, so with Larry or also with Arve Hendrickson. So 
different settings, but not with Mark. So I was really, really curious to see how that would feel, and it felt great, you know, because I, I also remember just feeling that just in terms of voice leading, you know, just to have Mark and Thomas Morgan in the band, that was just ridiculous, man. Yes. How these guys, the, the subtlety of their, their no choice, you know, no choice and, and, and uh, rhythms to everything. They're just, the way these guys listen, you know, and, and Jacob is just really, really incredible. Because it feels extremely intimate and, and like everybody's very aware of what everybody else is doing, but at the same time, extremely independent and extremely like very chill. This is just very intriguing. I'm still very intrigued to see how this music works and, and, mm. and it's very intuitive. You know, I feel very comfortable doing it, but I don't understand exactly <laughs> how it works. <laughs> it's, I, I'm not able to really analyze it. And, and I think that's part of the joy, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Yeah. And I actually had this this reason I just point out that this experience where it was this, but even to a more crazy degree, you know, we did recently in Denmark this uh, beautiful recording with Joe Lovano and Joey Baron on drums too, so two drummers and three bass players, you know, mm. Thomas, Larry and AC, Anders Christensen. Wow. And, you know, Three bases, that's not supposed to sound good. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's supposed to sound good, but it's not supposed to be easy. And it yeah. sounded great. And it was very easy. It was completely natural. Yeah. So oh, I'm looking forward uh, to hear that. Yeah, that was really, really amazing experience too. And to see how also with Joey was, was great, you know. I just had really cranked in my headphones to make sure that I could hear every nuance of what he played and and that way, naturally, everything I would play would be connected with that, you know. So that's, I have to say about, yeah, it was amazing and I love Joey. Of course, he played with my quintet too, so it's another, mm -hmm. you know. But it's another it was, link. Yeah, another uh, really strong link. Like, you know, I really love him, and but I've never played with two drums with him, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time. But then the thing of the three bass player is like really, really something too, you know. And it was incredibly inspiring to see how these three guys were able to share that space, you know, and, mm -hmm. and nobody seemed to get into anybody's way and or tentative. Everybody just flowed incredible. But that goes back to, to what Wayne was about in terms of stepping outside of your comfort zone. Whenever yeah. there's an instrument that is exactly the same function as you, mm -hmm. exactly. you have to play differently. You can't do the same thing. Totally. And when there's three, yeah. you know, Imagine. that's yeah, different. Yeah. yeah, but then for me, like the, a great lesson for that is that it's like, well, that's the thing. And maybe again, yeah, about if you have your identity with a certain way of playing or then, yeah, you're trapped by that. But if you forget about that and you really are in the moment, then it's completely easy. You yes. just you react play with, to music. Here. Who cares if it's yeah. through basses or three bassoons? You know, I just... <laughs> You know, here is a sound. What can I add to this sound for, with my instrument? What do I hear? This is it. And then it's just as easy as anything else. It's just no right. big, no big deal at all. Yeah. So that was really, really interesting to see, you know, to experience because it really went like that. You know. I think Jacob has a, a unique uh, ability to, because that's something that actually I'm not mad about or or. Um, mm -hmm 
I'm not sure how to phrase it, but I think a lot of people get called to do the thing that they do <laughs> these days and always, <laughs> you know. <laughs> He sounds great on blah, blah, blah. I'm going to call him because I want to do this, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like buying a shampoo, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like a product. Like, yeah, yeah, a product. Yeah, you know, you, you see somebody who does exactly what you want to do, you call mm -hmm. him and you get it. And it's even yeah. not a surprise. It might yeah. feel nice, but, you know. Yeah. Um, Very good point. But I think Jakob and you too, mm -hmm. you guys have an ability to call somebody to do something different than they mm -hmm. would usually do. And that takes mm -hmm. courage on, 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 on your side to, to see the potential for somebody to, to be different and to act within a different musical setting, still be yourself, but discover new things within yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you cannot avoid being yourself. We cannot escape. Yeah. We're trapped in, <laughs> you <Yes>. know. <laughs> so yeah, I don't have such illusions. <laughs> but yeah, but definitely, since you are trapped in yourself, at least try to expand that a little bit by yes. being in the moment and and by not, uh, yeah, not having an illusion of an illusion of having a certain identity that's kind of cool and that you better stick to it. It's like no, no. Don't let your fantasies limit you, you know. Yeah. And and then also embracing embracing the un uncomfortable zone because of course if something is new, it's not gonna feel exactly comfortable. It's gonna feel a little yeah, a little mm -hmm. you know, weird at least you know. Yeah. So yeah, if you're uncomfortable all the time, beware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe something is missing. Absolutely. But before we finish, I wouldn't like to. I, I would like to talk a little bit about Robert and Jeff. Oh yeah, because let's do it. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, well, Robert, you know very well. Yes, <laughs> he's amazing. You know, so it's actually yeah. When we play those two gigs, that I will never forget. You know, with you and Jonas and, mm -hmm. and Rob, just that was amazing. You know, it yeah, really for us too. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it's it also. I mean. I understand what you say before about week. I mean, I, I don't know how big of influence it is, but I know it is in the sense that I, I, I sense that I felt that you really understand my music or the way I play. In it, it felt like very because we haven't played that much. You know, it felt extremely at home. You know, mm -hmm. and also I feel also that your tunes have some properties that they they don't look so simple or obvious but then once i played them it, it just was very easy it really felt like yeah i could have wrote, written something like that <laughs> yeah. just felt very 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 close very kind of beautiful but but kind of spooky a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and with uh, jonas and robert just felt like that like they were extremely proactive too but always very imaginative and very listening and just amazing support you know and and robert in particular i also what i i really liked is that he he had a, a lot of the things that i th well everything that i think is very important that i i love to have in a bass player you know which many times is just to be able to play with extreme clarity just what you need just just the roots you know just the structural thing and, and to do that in an extremely clear way with a 
always impeccable sound and intonation, just, you know. But on top of that, then he also can do a lot of things that, that are even completely beyond what my musical imagination, like he, he, I think he's familiar with other musical worlds that are not familiar for me. So he brings all that, he brings a lot on the table. Yeah. He can also play with a lot of notes and still, and it sounds great, never yeah. sounds too busy, still full of meaning. And But just, so that for me is, is just incredible to, to be able to play with him because, yes, I said before for a trio, you know, since, I don't want to be there. We are less people, and I don't want. I don't have Mark Turner, a frontliner there, you know. So I need I need more voices there, and so both Jeff and, and Robert. They provide this. Are, yeah, they provide that big time, you know, and they also provide like the foundation very much, you know. To so so that's why I'm I'm extremely happy with, yeah. with this trio, you know. They they both. Uh, it's make it in a way that's really, yeah, really feels like like an equal equal trio, you know. And and at the same time, it's it's mostly. I mean, it's it's really my tune. So I'm mm -hmm. the band leader in the sense that I'm the one who provides the the the, the material that we're gonna work in. So so I I feel that I'm very much at home. So I can be can can develop what's the essence of, of whatever it is that I do. But at the same time, it's completely open because both of them bring much more that doesn't belong really to my world. It's, it yeah. completes it. It's expansive. You know? Yeah, this is a great expansion. It was so great to see you guys uh, in in Basel mm -hmm. last year. It was, and for me personally, because you know to see my friend uh, Robert together with. <laughs> And you, my friend, also, but I mean, together yeah, with my no, heroes, no, you, you know, big history. <laughs> yeah, but to see him with with my heroes like like you and Jeff is so so uh, so beautiful because <laughs> I know what he uh, what he does, but he sounds different in your group and how you utilize him and what mm -hmm. what you bring out of him is 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 really special. And now having heard the record uh, a lot of times. I really love it. I mean, it's, wow. it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It means a lot to me. <laughs> cool, Jorge. I, I really thank you for doing this. Thank you.